0: presentation.
1: For a new episode of the Florida Sound Archive Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Kaiser, and as you can see, I have a special guest here with me. You might recognize the face, you may recognize the name, but he is here today for what's to be a wonderful conversation on his musical journey, which spans uh what, two, three decades now, four decades oh now, God. Or something like that. So He's here chuck loose chuck how are you man how's it going
0: excellent jeff good good to be here
1: it's good to have you on man excited for this interview and for this conversation uh when you sent me the list of all the bands that you've been in over the <laughs> years i'm like i don't have enough hands to count <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know my, my philosophy tends to be that like i don't know most bands are good for maybe three to five years and then, uh, and then I mean, there's exceptions. There's obvious exceptions to the rule, but uh, but yeah, most bands kind of like I mean, for this genre, for punk rock, I mean, sure. you know, if you play classical music, it's probably a different thing. But uh, for punk rock, it's kind of like most bands are good for about three to five years, and then you kind of start getting a a little bit stale. I mean, I don't. I always say that like for most bands, they have three great albums in them. I mean, the first the first album is something like like you've probably spent like know more years than it took three than you are the band to record to to get those songs together and then maybe you've got enough for a couple more albums i mean that's not true for every band there's definitely bands i love like the helicopters are a great example uh from sweden like every album they put out is slightly better than the one before it somehow magically but they're definitely the exception not the rule so yeah yeah i kind of tend to get i mean it might also be my my adhd that like makes me one of the like kind of get burnt like makes you get burnt out of after a few years and move on to the next project
1: and a lot of them are different that's the fun part is you know listen to one band and listen to another one and get a completely different experience which is which is a lot of fun
0: Awesome. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. Who wants to keep doing the same thing? I mean, I don't know. I, the, there's definitely like a quote from um, Paul Simon out of The Clash that I always like, I always like go back to, which is like, punk Punk is about looking forward. You know, it's about being firmly anchored in the present and cast, casting a glance back to the past, but being firmly, firmly looking into the future, you know, and like, yeah, wanting to experience new things and try different stuff.
1: What's been the most fun thing you've experienced over the years that uh, comes oh to mind? <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, outside of, I mean, bands, just playing music is like, I don't know. It's beyond, beyond the the fun of being in a band and stuff. It's just playing music is a very, for me, is a very cathartic thing. I just noticed that if I, I play music, my brain works better. Whatever, whatever, like, elements, whatever parts of your brain they are being activated, be, because a lot of times playing music is a very kind of like automatic thing, you know. Like it seems like uh, like certain parts of your brain take over that maybe you aren't even aware that you're using. Um, whatever that does, I've noticed is is a really really good thing for me. It makes my brain work better in other situations. Like I notice that like uh, I think out things better. Like I don't jump to conclusions as qu- as quick. Um, but uh, but I mean, really for me personally, the 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 poster thing and the art thing. Which I do for a living is probably uh, a lot more. It, it, that would be the one thing that I could point to in my life. That's the the constant, um, the constant positive thing. I mean, the music definitely is. But the problem with being in bands, you got to be in with other people, <laughs> right? Like, uh, Yeah, doing art and like doing like uh, the posters and stuff is like, you know, more kind of my own, my own directive where I don't necessarily have to work with other people.
1: That's right. And all those posters behind your ones that you worked on directly. Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah. Either either I designed or uh, one of my friends designed them and I collaborated with them on them and hand printed them.
1: It's awesome. Got some great yeah. ones back there. Were those all shows that took place in Florida, or uh, are yeah.
0: They, uh, yeah, yeah? For the I'm looking at them now. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, yeah. There's actually kind of angle. At like the one right above my head, that red one is for George Michael, which is one of my favorites. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of like music and graphics. Kind of were like very um they kind of like entered my life at the at the same time when i was a kid i discovered punk rock and i also discovered the artwork that went along with punk rock and uh, to me that like was really really inspirational and i was obsessed with the imagery that accompanied music um, and so yeah you know eventually i was able to be uh, my business partner we were able to start a company where we did these kind of posters for for larger venues and for larger bands and it wasn't always for for music that I, I necessarily was a huge fan of but like we kind of always pride ourselves on being able to create something that um, that matched the tone of the artist and like you know, hopefully visually represented um, what they were about or or what it meant to us anyway. It was always me, me and my business partner Ian would always joke about it. Like it would be, it's fantastic if you get to do a poster for a band you love because you you know you know what they're about. You know you know like the the visual imagery that that is appropriate to the music. But sometimes the funner thing is getting a band that you know nothing about and having to like kind of. it it forces you to learn about him, which also for me is great. Cause it kind of like forced me to learn a lot about music that maybe I normally wouldn't listen to, which I don't know. is a very, I think it's a great thing. There's, there's value in all music. You know, you just got to go and find it.
1: What was one of your greatest discoveries from oh, one of the posters that you had a chance to do?
0: Oh God. I, I had liked Wu-Tang Clan before, but I was never really that deep into them. Then we had to do a Wu-Tang Clan, Clan poster. So I was like, oh, sh- really really listen to him, you know and then that led me kind of like down that rabbit hole of like all the all the individual members of wu-tang who like had their own solo projects which yeah like i remember like discovering uh method man through that and i was like oh my god this is like (laughs) sounds goofy but it's like this is like verbal jazz like you know like it's like very stream of consciousness and like not like there's not like this kind of like like a real set thing that where it has to necessarily make total sense. Um but yeah that that totally like opened I was aware of them before I just wasn't as into them until I had to make a poster for him. And actually I don't have a copy of it now, but it's like uh it's an image of um of all the members of Wu-Tang Clan and then it features an image of Voltron in the middle, which is name-checked in their music. And so, yeah, it was just one of the most appropriate appropriate images I think we ever came up with. And it's funny because it is like the most popular poster we ever did. And I really wish that I had negotiated with Wu-Tang Management a <laughs> lot more. Because, uh, yeah, like every day, not every day, but at least like once a month, I get an email request from somebody asking, hey, I saw this poster someplace. You don't have any more, do you? Like, yeah, sorry, no. <laughs>
1: Yeah. How often do you reprint them in those situations to Uh, maybe sell them? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Generally never. Yeah. I mean, usually what it is is we negotiate um, like either the venue or the artist uh, will come to us and they'll want a, and they'll want a specific poster for that show and generally will negotiate with them okay we'll produce X amount of posters. Uh, in some cases they'll pay us for the design and and uh, and to produce the poster in some cases, which is the typical deal. Um, we get to keep a percentage of the posters in exchange for our Labor and our uh, our Labor and time um, and then we get to sell those posters on our own, which for the right artist can be like really, really lucrative I mean like. Yeah, like we did a poster for Pearl Jam and God, like I, I still have a huge stack of unsold posters of, of artists that people really aren't interested in the poster world. But then you get to do like something like Pearl Jam or the Wu-Tang Clan one where you're able to sell enough posters to cover like the rent on the shop for two months, like in a couple of days. So that's always great. I believe it. Yeah. But um yeah, yeah, it is it is a real it is a real interesting world. I mean it, it's like when we started doing it, we started the we started Ironforge Press in two thousand four. Um and um uh, like it that's right around the era where I think a lot of artists I mean the, the, the poster thing had kind of always been around for like punk rock and kind of like jam band and rock and roll artists. Um but then I think a lot of other artists warmed up to it because as you know as music became downloadable more they needed something that they were able to sell more I mean that whole thing with like Napster and the downloaded music kind of shift the whole uh, paradigm of like how music was sold it used to be that you 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 played live shows artists played live shows to sell records and then it became this kind of flip where it was you distributed your music just to get people to come to the live shows and buy your merchandise and you know, the great thing is you can't download a poster. You can't download a T-shirt, you know.
1: What came first for you, the artistic side of things or the music?
0: Well, I, when I was a kid, I was always, like, really into, like, comic books. And, and uh, my dad was, like, an amateur artist, so he, like, really encouraged me when I was a kid. Um, but honestly, like, it's hard to it's hard to know. I, I know that, like, I discovered, like... The, even before, like I, I discovered, like I, I had, like a, I was briefly into hard rock for a little bit before I discovered punk rock. Punk rock definitely opened the floodgates for me. But even before that, I remember like looking at like my parents' records. My my dad's record collection was amazing. Like it was all fifties doo wop and rock and roll, and then none of the hippie stuff and then picks up again with like billy joel and stuff like that which is interesting which is is very indicative of his tastes but um i just remember being fascinated by the artwork of like of, of albums to begin with you know so even before i discovered punk rock like that was it, it had a, a huge influence on me the, the other thing that really had a huge influence on me is my my parents were cool but they weren't they weren't that cool, they were pretty square. Um, but I had a friend in, uh, in the uh, we first met in middle school, we were friends all through high school, um, and his parents uh, were much cooler. They were like old hippies and they would let us smoke weed when we were kids. Um, and uh, his mom had this book called The Art of Rock, which was like this big thick cover, big thick hardcover uh, compedium that was just images of uh, rock posters mostly. Like, and it started with like, um, like uh early like 50s rock and roll and went up through the 80s but that thing just opened my mind to like the idea of like this exists you know that like like uh, and it had all the psychedelic stuff in it like uh, like uh, all the the San Francisco Fillmore artists and that kind of stuff and it just totally opened my mind and yeah and like one of the biggest coups of my life is the publishers of that did a second uh, uh, did a second uh, book which is called the art of modern rock. And they did that in their early two thousands. And I actually got a couple pieces like in that, which to me was just like, <laughs> like, yeah, like top of the mountain, I guess.
1: Did you at all come in contact with Greg right now? He was a guest on the podcast and.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. Dude, oh my God. Uh, incredible artist, incredible artist. Yeah, yeah. I love his stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, heat Seekers played a couple of shows with whatever band he was in at the time god i can't remember the, he was in a two two-man band for a while was
1: it Nutrijet?
0: yes Nutrijet. totally okay. totally dude incredible artist man yeah yeah i always was in all of that dude stuff yeah 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 tampa too. right
1: uh yeah tampa area yeah Mel, melbourne yeah um, yeah yeah i think he's living in different 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 places but um
0: yeah 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 i, I think the first time i think i might have met him was at a I went to see the yeah, yeah, yeah's in Orlando, I think. And he was, that was, the, I'd seen his artwork before, but like, I walked up to the merch booth and they had these awesome posters and he was right there selling them. And I think that was the first time I actually physically met him. Yeah. yeah. dude, Super cool dude. Amazing artist.
1: It's always neat to see some of the, you know, the, the punk rock musicians, you know, uh, have these other careers of artwork and the posters and all that. And sometimes you don't realize who's behind it until you start to dig a little bit deeper in. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that, like that was his work.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. 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 So No, totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody's Everybody needs to pay the light bill somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, right. yeah, it's fortunate. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that like, just, you know, uh, like a lot of musicians or it's a creative endeavor, you know, and so maybe they have uh, other talents that are similar you know and art is definitely one of those things i think that feels like i feel that runs parallel to to music you know i mean yeah like the first stuff i started doing was when i was in high school and a bunch of my high school friends were in crummy bands and they would ask me to draw flyers and stuff um and then and that's what i in new mexico and i moved to florida in like the late 80s um and me and my friends would book shows for our goofy little bands and it gave me even more of an opportunity to like uh draw flyers and, and write little fanzines about our little scenes and that kind of stuff
1: what school in florida did you first uh start in
0: oh i know I, I i was <laughs> um so uh, my mom was a school teacher and she uh she actually read to me and my sister when we were still in the womb which uh, is, this, is this technique that actually accelerates learning. So by the time I went to, to, to I was in, enrolled in school, I was actually already a couple of grades ahead. So, um, but I graduated high school when I was like 16. So at that point, I started going to college and I really, really didn't like it. The only thing I really liked was like 20th century English literature. Um, and, uh, and so um, I basically kind of stopped going and my mom said, well, if you're gonna, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to have to pay rent and get a job or I'll lend you the money to go someplace else and then you can figure out your life that way. And so I looked at the map and my two options were either like San Francisco Bay Area or Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I I had been to Florida like to Orlando when I was a kid, my parents took us on vacation there, but I didn't know anything about Fort Lauderdale except from like um like teen uh spring break movies that I'd seen <laughs> when I was a kid. I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I'll go there." Like I mean my my mental image of it is like, I'll oh, get off the plane and it'll be like, you know, party. It'll be bikini girls with those hats that have the two beers on them. And it'll be like, instant party. party. <laughs> um, and so, right. so, yeah, basically <laughs> let me, let me the money. So I was like 16 going on 17 and my mom lent me the money to fly to New Mexico. And then a couple hundred bucks to kind of like take care of myself. And so I got here and like, I literally didn't know any, I got, I got off the plane and I found a taxi and, and the guy was like, where do you want to go? I was like Fort Lauderdale beach. And he's like, where on Fort Lauderdale Beach and like the idea never occurred to me that there was that Fort Lauderdale Beach was long <laughs> like I just figured it would be he would drop me off and it would be like spring break and it was not it was like I was I gonna know. ask
1: did it meet your expectations not or at was it? All? it was like
0: the years that like um it was like this is like 87 88 so it was like kind of like the years they started to crack down on spring break in Fort Lauderdale so he was like he's like where is where in Fort Lauderdale Beach I was like the only The only thing I knew was the elbow room because it was featured in like some spring break movie that I'd seen as a kid. So he dropped me off in front of the elbow room. (laughs) And so it was like me with a backpack and a skateboard I'm like, all right, I guess I'm here. So like I slept on the beach for a couple of weeks and uh, and finally got a job. And the people I got a job for were very, very kind. And like I, after i started working for him, it was like in the kitchen like be a dishwasher and then a prep cook and i explained my story to them and they were very kind they advanced me the money to be able to get like an apartment and stuff and and uh, so yeah yeah by the time i got here i was, I was already out of school wow so but yeah it's, it's funny like uh like it it was you know i, I tell people that story and they're like oh that's crazy i was like i don't know like at the time i met tons of kids that were doing that like like the first people i met in fort lauderdale like these kids that lived at the covenant house um which was like basically i guess like a place where if you were a bad kid (laughs) you ended up it was like um like a like kind of a soup kitchen for bad kids but they also provided like um like work training programs and stuff like that but yeah when i first moved here i met tons of kids that were kind of like i mean basically runaways in in worse situations than i were for sure like probably fleeing like you know like abusive households and that kind of stuff but basically like you know just said like hey that's a sunny place where I could probably like get along so that's probably where I'm gonna go to to get away from my terrible home situation not that I ever had that my yeah it was very very supportive but yeah
1: were you meeting other like-minded kids that oh yeah had similar interests as you or
0: oh totally 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 yeah yeah I mean uh uh so I skateboarded a lot so once I got like an apartment it's funny I actually remember I got. I got an apartment because of the kindness of the people I worked for, um, but I didn't have enough money to turn on the electric for like a couple of weeks until I saved up my paychecks. So I had like a wind-up alarm, and so I would work during the day, go home, and then go skating all night, like go skateboarding in downtown Fort Lauderdale, um, and uh, and then like you know go home, wind up my alarm clock so I could get up in the morning for work. Um, but through skate skateboarding i mean that was still a time when like skateboarding and punk rock were very very joined and through skateboarding i met like a lot of people and then that kind of like brought me back you know like uh uh then suddenly i knew where punk rock shows were and and started meeting even more and more people and so on and so forth and yeah eventually like you know met met the people that i would start bands with
1: what was your worst injury when you were skateboarding
0: Oh, God, I <laughs> it's funny because I still feel it. Um, there's a there's an area in downtown Fort Lauderdale, like a building called the Mercedes City Center. I think it's still there, but there was this two set of like five stairs. And so you had to ollie the first set and then really quickly ollie the second set because the runoff is really short and like. I was like I wanted to like all these younger kids were doing it I mean and younger I mean like 14 and like I was like I can totally do that I can totally do that and I landed badly and I hyper extended my my knee which is like where your knee goes past like it goes like I landed flat footed and my knee bent backwards but past the point that your knee is supposed to bend and like my kneecap kind of slid out a little bit and uh it i mean it was it was i couldn't really walk easily and i had to put like a brace on it for like a like a, a couple months um eventually it healed but it's funny still like now in cold weather or if i if i like uh overstress that knee i could still still feel it
1: <laughs> especially as you get older right it starts
0: oh to... <laughs> no no dude oh my god all the You know, when I was younger, I would just like shake it off. Like, ah, you fall on your face. Like, you know, you like, you totally ding yourself up and it's like, ah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then suddenly you hit like 35 and every one of those injuries, like it it reminds, it reminds you of when, when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Every little, every little ding I took from a skateboard in my shins has come back to haunt me over the past 10 years.
1: Like some people like will get tattoos to help remind them of their youth or whatever, oh. but later on you'll eventually start to feel the pain and aches from injury. Oh yeah. <laughs> that yeah. No, that'll no.
0: remind you of that time. No. <laughs> totally. no. Yeah, look in the machines. Mm-hmm. The machine's not getting better. The machine's just like breaking down a little bit more each day. I mean, there's things you can do to to maintain the machine, take care of the machine. You know, eat well, try and exercise. But yeah, inevitably, the machine's slowly on a on a on a on a tapering down course.
1: That's right. <laughs>
0: but yeah, no, it was funny. Like yeah, I, I mean, it was. I just remember you know being young and see. I see young kids skating now, and I watch the stuff they do, and I'm just like, oh my god. Like you know, like yeah, the worst slam in the world, and they'll hop back up. And I just remember there was just this point in my life where suddenly it was like, oh, wow, everything hurts. And uh, <laughs> I used to like, oh, my God. Yeah, I remember I used to like live on cheeseburgers and I would drink like a 12 pack of beer a night, sleep one hour, wake up for work like, yeah, no problem. And I remember like, like in my late 20s, early 30s, I was like, oh, man, I need to sleep more. Like, I'm tired all the time and everything hurts. Yeah, it happens. <laughs>
1: Catches up quick. So, do you remember the first time you saw a band or maybe a oh, show live when yeah, you were in yeah. Florida? Uh,
0: oh, in Florida. Um, yeah. Yeah. the The first show. I mean, when, living in New Mexico, um, like uh, I would, I was into punk rock. Like, I probably discovered punk rock when I was like twelve or thirteen. The first like big show I went to when I when I still lived in New Mexico was MDC, which is like totally one of those watershed moments for me. It was like, um, yeah, I tried to explain this to like younger kids and like they sometimes have such a hard time dealing with it or, or understanding it. Like, like it was, I went to go see MDC in somewhere in Albuquerque, New Mexico when I was like 13. And there's probably 1200 kids there like in an Elks Lodge or something. And none of your parents knew about it. And no adult knew about it. And like only the kids that were part of the scene and the few adults and most of the adults were like in their mid-20s at most like that like you know kind of helped organize it knew about this you know like then the only way you found out was about it was maybe you went into the right record store and you saw a flyer for it or you met some other kids skateboarding and they gave you a flyer for it or told you about the show um so yeah i remember going to see MDC with my friends when I was 13. And I just remember being in there and just looking at it and just being like, this is what I'm into. This is totally, these are my people. This is totally what I what I want to be about. This is, this is, this is home for me. Um, so what yeah, was it I...
1: about it? What was it
0: about that seed oh, that really
1: just connected with you right from the, the start?
0: The energy. Um, I mean, the energy, the also just the sense of camaraderie, like the sense that like <laughs> nobody else likes us. <laughs> so like, here's our own little community, you know, like, um we were all you know and in that era too punk rock was like you know having a funny haircut was enough to get like somebody to to wing a full beer at you from a pickup truck like on any given city street during the week you know so there was this real sense of like um of like all the misfits kind of finding their place together, finding camaraderie and something we share and music and energy and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. you know, It's funny. Like my friend, Aaron, like, uh, like he used to say, it's like, yeah, he lived in Berkeley and he was like, yeah, you know, I'd walk around Berkeley and I'd hear skateboard wheels down the street. And I knew it was somebody I knew, you know, because there wasn't, skateboarding wasn't as big as it is now. And the, if somebody was skating, they were probably into punk rock. Cause it was probably somebody you knew. Um, but, yeah, moving here, was <laughs> it was definitely an eye-opener. Uh, New Mexico is more kind of like hippie punks. <laughs> Everybody's, I mean, there was fights, like, you know, stupid fights, but not the wholesale violence I witnessed when I moved to Florida. Um, the first show I went to when I moved here was The Exploited at the Cameo. And, oh, my God, that was, a yeah, I'd, ne- <laughs> I'd never seen people beat the hell out of each other like that. It was really yeah I remember pulling up it's like so it was a friend I met skateboarding um, and we went to the show together and I remember pulling up in front of the venue and there's two ambulances out front already and I was like. What's going on And I was like oh they're just waiting I was like waiting for what and he's like oh, something's <laughs> gonna happen like and I was like oh my God yeah so it was.
1: I mean, better to be proactive and then you know, than reactive, knowing yeah, like, no, totally, no, no, no it really
0: made sense because yeah, I mean, I think like during the opening band, uh, one kid got taken out, then during the exploit, another kid got taken out. So yeah, yeah, they were they knew what they were doing, you know. It's like, they, yeah, there was that was that was probably those ambulance drivers circuit in, in that era, you know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, so that was the first show I saw. And I saw a couple other shows of the cameo, but that was like the end of the cameo. And then the scene kind of switched to like other smaller clubs, Churchill's. Um, I mean, there had always been shows at Churchill's, even up to then, but um, for the smaller shows, Churchill started being a place to go. Um, There's also a a couple other clubs on Miami Beach. Uh, Club New would have shows occasionally. I saw some great shows there, saw The Cramps there, saw Fields of the Nephilim there. yeah, yeah. Uh, club Beirut was another tiny little club that would host, like, straight-edge shows, I think. Yeah. Like, I saw, like, Powerhouse and a bunch of, like, uh, a bunch of the other, like, um, like, straight-edge bands from down here at that point.
1: Was Powerhouse one of the earliest local bands that grabbed your attention?
0: Uh, uh, I, yeah, I grabbed my attention. I became friends with a couple of members of the band. I didn't really, they were straight-edge, that was their whole thing, and I didn't really, not really for me but the but the people i came friends with that were in the band were like very very cool people yeah it's, it's funny there's <laughs> there's this band from miami called fwa fwa and i re- <laughs> like oh my god those guys have been around for a million years and i remember them from when i first moved here because i would go to shows and it would typically be like powerhouse and a couple other like straight edge bands and then FWA were all, like usually on the bill and like of all the bands that like in those shows fall was the one i most related to because all the other bands were like straight edge and i wasn't really too into that but fall was just like these really stupid songs about fighting with your parents and like you know like just being a just being a teenage idiot, and I totally totally relate to those songs. And it's funny at at the time, like the singer Jesse, he was older than most of us, not that much older. Like we were probably like early twenties, and he was like maybe like late twenties, early thirties. But he seems so much older. And then like I see him at shows now, and he still it it, it still seems. I mean, like I gotta figure that we're probably not that far off in age. Maybe he just seemed older, but it, he just still seems like kind of like the, a dad figure to me. It's very strange.
1: What was the difference for you between like going to, let's say, you know, an exploited or cramped show versus going to see like a straight edge show?
0: Um, oh God. I mean, they were, they were, they're pretty much the same. I mean, it was a lot of the same people. I mean, the thing is like, uh, you know, with like uh, the exploited is it definitely brought out a whole Oh God, the Exploited show like was also the first time I'd seen like really violent skinheads. Like in New Mexico, we had skinheads, but they were like, we're seeing the ska and they were like weren't really exceptionally violent or anything but like that exploited show it was just like it was like head hunting it was like these skinheads that were on the prowl for punk rockers and long hairs and and it was just you knew there was gonna be violence it's you know it's it's weird to describe it's like sometimes you walk into a room and there's just like this feeling that something bad's gonna happen and that's totally how that kind of show was the straight edge shows actually you know it's funny like There was a lot more positive energy. Again, I wasn't really into the straight edge thing, but it did seem like there was a lot more like kind of like positive energy and like a lot more camaraderie with those kids.
1: You remember the craziest pit you ever seen?
0: Oh God. Maybe like... Like towards the end of that cameo area, like D R I or something, and you know what it was? It was like that era of crossover, which really bred a lot of violence. Like, um, it's like when metalheads kind of. I mean, when I when I was in New Mexico, there was that was I think the beginning of it. Like I remember it, it, where I grew up in New Mexico was very very rural. There was maybe five of us punkers, you know, and then there was a group of metalheads, and we kind of got along with them. And then I remember like um, I think like what like Megadeth covered like Sex Pistols or something, and then suddenly the metalheads kind of became interested in like punk and they want to know more about it. So we kind of bonded a little over that. Um, Whereas when I moved to Florida, it seemed like there was this real antagonism between the skinheads who just, they were just violent jerks, you know, they just wanted a reason to beat somebody up. And then suddenly there was these metal kids that were starting to become introduced to punk rock that were starting to come to the shows. So I think probably like a, I would imagine like a DRI show in that era. Actually, yeah, you know what? It was probably DRI at Club New and, uh, and that was probably one of the most violent shows I saw. Cause it was like, yeah, the metalheads were coming in and they had no clue what was going on. Like they weren't, there was a whole culture there that they weren't aware of. And also the other thing too, actually wait, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, I'm gonna revise that. The most violent pit I saw was I think either the Circle Jerks or Murphy's Law at Summers on the Beach. And the Circle Jerks won because it was Fleet Week. So Summers on the Beach was like this like kind of like they mostly hosted glam rock in the '80s, and then towards the end of the '80s, they started booking whatever because glam rock was kind of over. And they booked a Circle jerk show, and they did it during Fleet Week when all like the Navy people, like all the sailors, are in town for like their week, like week vacation or something. And so I remember I was I was uh, standing near the front of the club, and I see all these guys in sailor uniforms like come in come up to the front door, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is. This is not gonna go well. And so they all came in like in sailors uniforms. And they didn't kind of understand like um, you know the, the the at that time, I mean, the pit and moshing is different now with like crowd killing and those kind of dances and stuff. But at the you know, at the time like the pit was violent, but it was like there was a certain if somebody fell down, you picked them up, you know? It was like kind of like it was rough housing, but it was kind of an understood tribal thing. The sailor guys came in and they just saw it as a big fight. You know, they looked at the pit and they saw it like, oh, this is a chance to kick somebody's ass. So they jumped in there and they started fighting. And then of course like the skin has beat the hell out of them and i just remember like i was sitting at the front like by the front door i watched all the sailors come in and like uh i I like was still waiting there like maybe like 20 minutes later the the security's bringing them all out and they're all like black eyes and their hats are on sideways and like bleeding from the mouth and like i was like wow that went down really really quickly then that murphy's law show which i guess kind of lives in in infamy um so murphy's law played there and uh, the bouncers were already really antagonistic about the whole freaking night. The bouncers did not like the skinheads and the punks. So there was like a bad vibe from the get-go. Um, these two girls got in a fight. I mean, I'm this is from what I recall, I was way in the back and I left as quickly as I could. But from what I call these two girls got in a fight. One girl tried to mace the other girl um, and she had the mace can backwards. So when she fired it, the mace went behind her and hit Jimmy from Murphy's Law in the face. So he started, he's like, yeah, you fucking maced me. And then uh, the bouncers erupted. The bouncers started grabbing some of the kids. The skinhead started grabbing the bouncers. Somebody went to, they had a huge, this huge plate glass window that faced the beach. And somebody just took a chair and threw it right through it. And uh, I was like, wow, OK, we should leave. And I was with a couple friends, friends. We ran out the back and, and got out of there. This is funny, this is funny, like years later when I was in The Crumbs um, we played this bar called The Continental in New York City and uh, so we're loading all our gear there's like a basement to load your gear into before we play and we're loading our gear in there and there's this dude sitting down there with like a pit bull wearing black like dark glasses he looks at us he's like kind of like nods to us we're like oh hey what's up man and so we go back out and our roadie goes dude that's Jimmy Gustavo from Murphy's Law and I was like no way is it really and this I then I realized like our roadie's wearing his shirt that says it's a murphy's law shirt that says i survived murphy's law and i was like oh my god let's go talk to him so we went down there and like he looks at the shirt he's like where you guys from we're like oh fort Lauderdale. he's like were you guys there for the riot we're like yeah we totally were man that was crazy (laughs) so yeah that was probably like the worst like the most violent thing i think i probably saw because that was just like yeah yeah i mean i i got used to it after living here for a couple years but when i first moved here i was not prepared for it right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've heard other people talk about that show before yeah so yeah i'm
0: sure everybody has a, probably has a different viewpoint work from where you were standing and what you saw happen and stuff but yeah i was i mean it seemed like something was going to happen at that place because the management didn't understand it you know like the management had been used to booking like you know like cinderella and like glam rock bands which you know weren't the same level of like aggression and violence as was going to happen with punk rock especially down here you know right yeah florida's florida's a unique and interesting place
1: <laughs> how inspirational were those moments for yourself as you were looking to eventually start me creating music of your own
0: oh oh i mean d- listen the, it, as bad as those times were there was definitely like things about them that like i don't want to say were positive but maybe brought out the positivity in people like you know just like those those all right like um having to go through something like that having to maybe have somebody beat the shit out of you at the show maybe made you kind of it made it tested your metal. you made me made you think like do I want to do this like maybe I should maybe I should go to maybe I should be into country music or something else like you know maybe this isn't like really for me and so it kind of made I think people that were into it like decide like okay if I'm going to if i'm gonna do this and i gotta prepared to deal with this i am prepared to fight for my scene you know and maybe unite with these other people to like try and push these people out or figure an option where these people don't want to come to our shows so we can do stuff and yeah like you know seeing that kind of stuff like when i when i got in my first band Chickenhead, we made like really like we kind of had like a like a clear idea of like this is not how we want things to be and so like when we first started playing music we kind of like intentionally did things so we wouldn't kind of be involved in in those kind of scenes anymore you know i kind of like tried to build like our own like separate scene for people that were a little bit more like-minded so i mean it was was inspirational (laughs) not in not in more inspirational because like hey we don't want this to end up like that you know
1: was there any band in particular that you think really inspired you the most at that time
0: oh um well i mean uh it, totally, I'm, the stuff I always love, which is like, you know, early, early, uh, the, the founding, just because like, you know, MDC was my entry point, like the first generation of American hardcore punk, you know, I mean, Germs are still my favorite band of all time. Because they only made one album, so they couldn't fuck it up. Right. <laughs> you only make one album and then die. You, you have no chance to make anything that's terrible after that. Um, yeah, not really, not really local bands until later on. I mean, like as as things eventually developed and as the years went by, I think there was a lot more like like-minded people that became part of the scene that that I found inspirational. But at the time, like, you know, not a lot of not a lot of other stuff that like really like drove us. We found out those people eventually, you know. Um Like yeah i mean one of the big things is like we kind of because like nobody really wanted the kind of music that we were playing we were kind of forced to seek alternate venues like punk rock picnics and doing outdoor shows and that kind of stuff and that kind of led us to like just like meet other people maybe not the same musical genres as us but like-minded in the sense of like how they how they approach community and that kind of stuff
1: yeah what other bands were around at that time locally that were similar to what to what you were looking to do?
0: Um, God, I mean, uh, gosh, <laughs> at first not a lot, but I mean, the other bands that like kind of like kind of that we eventually bonded with were um, uh, uh, Creamy Electric Santa, who are not really punk in like the traditional sense, but are absolutely punk in the attitude sense. Like they're just really weird interesting music but the people the people that were all involved with it had just very very awesome ideas about um individuality and not making stuff that would that was intended to be popular um human oddities were also another great band from that era that i thought were just really really fantastic um like just really weird kind of fucked up songs about uh cryptozoology <laughs> and pirates and just kind of weird stuff. And they also like, oh, one, of, one of them or one of their girlfriends or boyfriends uh, worked for the drama department or was involved in the drama department at one of the universities. So we'd make these really, really amazing costumes. Um, and then later on, like, you know, I guess like bands like, uh, like so that was like probably like chicken head era. Um, and then later on, like when I got into crumbs bands, like Against All Authority and, uh, uh, class war was another great band from that era beltones um like those kind of bands like after things kind of started filling out a little bit i guess
1: yeah yeah i think it's a good time to talk about chicken head
0: okay <laughs> right on you,
1: you brought you brought up chicken head so was right that the on. was that the first band like real serious band that you ever had a chance to uh oh. Yeah, I mean
0: definitely the first band that was yeah I mean definitely the first the first band I was in Um, and yeah and I had met the. um, I had met the guitar player uh, Erica because she had put up a flyer at a a record store that said looking to start band into and then listed a whole bunch of like bands and I remember filth this california band at the time were, were on the list and i was like oh i gotta get in touch with this person um and so I, at the time i just thought they like they were like kind of like they might be comrade in arms i wasn't even interested in starting the band i was just like oh this person's into like this the list of bands oh god the other band they listed was christ on a crutch who were this awesome awesome band at the time um and so i was just like oh i just got to get in touch with this person and just like you know be like you know were like-minded so you know I, I wasn't even thinking about being in the band um but yeah yeah then i met them uh, and yeah she eventually she played in bikini kill for a while she, play, she played in black flag for a little bit <laughs> which was very very incredibly awesome and weird yeah. um like she d- just practiced with them never really uh, got the offer to be in the band but never never went with it um but yeah yeah and so then we started chicken head um and uh and yeah yeah they i just at first we just hung out together um, uh, her and the the another member of the there was just her and this uh my other friend buddha um and then uh after we got to know each other they asked they asked me to sing for the band and i was like sure and i really had no sense of <laughs> what i should do or like i just figured that i should just, just make it as chaotic and entertaining as possible and also that was just kind of like a way to kind of like like tell people like you know like don't if you're looking for like normal stuff don't really come around like this is you're probably not we're probably not for you you know like this is just like kind of like weird self expression so you know yeah so it was just like really really just kind of self-destructive and silly i thought it was fun but yeah it was uh and uh yeah because i remember like eventually adventure we got to get we got enough money together to go record like a seven inch and uh I remember like being in the studio and the guy and like I was singing, the guy's like, you got to sing into the microphone. And I was like, he's, I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, this isn't playing live. He's like, you got to sing into the microphone. And I like, which had never occurred to me that that was what I was supposed to do. So yeah. So chicken head. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we, uh, uh, at that time, I mean, like there was not, we, we, we started booking shows because there was like bands that were touring, especially from California that we really, really wanted to, to like like uh like see and and host and so we started booking shows for them and then through that we got to meet like a lot of like the california bands that were involved with like the lookout record label um and then uh and then eventually we toured uh, across the country and ended up in california which point the band broke up
1: what do you remember from that first chicken head show considering how chaotic some of those uh yeah not a lot were what what was the first one like
0: oh god the first one. okay actually the first one we played with that band the human oddities in one of their parents living rooms i think their parents had gone out of town and they decided to have a show in the living room and so i think at that point it was just me and erica her playing guitar and me singing and uh yeah i think i think i probably got naked and ran around and maybe drop, dump some pudding on my head or something like that. Just, wow. you know, just silliness. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, eventually then we codified it into something a little bit more still ridiculous, but like maybe like a little bit more something, I guess, <laughs> where you could actually do that. And then, and then it just got really self-destructive. Like it just got like, you know, like lighting ourselves on fire and like breaking bottles over our heads and like that kind of silliness. And and it's funny because when we broke up we're like we've kind of ridden this train as far as it's going to go i mean the the next step here would be to like drop a car on me or something right where do you go
1: from lighting yourself on fire and i that set the bar really high chuck that was
0: yeah that was a bad that was a bad (laughs) idea that was a in retrospect um yeah so was that
1: was that completely just like on the fly or did you plan that
0: no so i had around that time i had visited new york city and i saw this band called the fifth column who were like this weird industrial band but the singer lit his hair on fire <laughs> and i thought it was the coolest thing like he lit his hair on fire and it burned for like a minute then he put it out and i was like that's so cool i would totally try and do that so like i practiced this so i was like i'm just gonna dump lighter fluid on myself and i'll light it on fire and then and then it'll go out right and so um I decided to practice it up to, up to that point, I'd been doing like one part of like, which you can play, I would blow fireballs. I would like take a mouthful, of like lighter fluid and boom, blow fireballs out. Um, and so I was like, all right, the next step is I'll just dump the lighter fluid on myself and light myself on fire. And so in my mind, what was going to happen was I was going to dump lighter fluid on myself and light myself on fire and then jump out into the crowd and it would go out. I don't know why I thought that would happen. Um, <laughs> right. but yeah, instead what happened is I jumped out and my shirt's still on fire and try to pull a flaming shirt off over my head and it completely burned my eyebrows off um yeah yeah not i'm glad somebody caught it on video because i don't think most people would believe me that that actually happened otherwise yeah. um but yeah yeah and that was actually that was at churchills and that was the second lifetime ban i got from churchills the first one was like chicken had played a show there maybe like a month before and i had gone to go see judas priest a few weeks before that show and Rob Halford rode on stage on a motorcycle. And I thought, God, that's so fucking cool. So the, so when chicken I played at, at Churchill's, I like put like a board up against the stage. I rode my motorcycle in on stage and got off and we played. I think we played like a uh, Queens. We are the champions for like 15 minutes or something. And then the manager guy, the, the stage manager was like, you're banned, you're never coming back here, get out of here. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then like I came back a couple of weeks later and he had been fired. So nobody, there was nobody in authority that remembered I had been banned. So uh, so yeah, so then we played another show and I lit myself on fire. And that guy said, you're banned forever, you're never coming back. And I think the next week he got fired. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the light on fire thing, not, not a good, I mean, yeah. <laughs> So, so after after it happened, I managed to get like the shirt off, and like I could feel like blisters bubbling up on my body from like the burns. And so I ran to the bar, and I was like, I was like, come on, give me like I just need like a pitcher of ice. And the bartender's just looking at me like an, like he's like, you're stupid as hell. And he just like fills up a thing with ice water and dumps it on me. He fills up another one, dumps it on me. And so like after that, I, I settled down for a little bit. I was like, I probably need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, and so I go into the emergency room what a waste of the emergency room. There's people who need help there. Um, so I go in and like, I'm still like, my eyebrows are gone and like, I'm bright red from being burned and there's blisters coming up and I'm wearing all this stupid punk rock crap, like boots with bandanas all over them. And so I go in the, the doctor takes me in. And she's like, so what happened to you? And I was like, we were having a barbecue and I dumped lighter fluid on myself accidentally. And she's just like, okay here's some burn cream yeah uh, uh you probably won't be able to you'll probably need to like lay down for like three or four days and so uh yeah that was uh that was what happened for like the next week i had to like kind of like carefully walk around putting burn cream on myself till the blisters went down
1: you still have any scarring from that
0: a little bit a little bit but yeah i mean also in the time i was in chicken we would break bottles over our heads cut ourselves up with glass so it doesn't it's it's all <laughs> it's all water under the bridge at this point
1: yeah quite a quite a violent band uh in terms of self-inflicted pain
0: yeah yeah see that was the thing though it was intended to be violent but not outwardly violent inwardly violent more like kind of a way to to tell people like like more like a way to alienate people that didn't understand it than necessarily a way to like hurt people you know like the the violence and 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 pain was also was also internalized not externalized
1: how was the band being received in some of the other places you were playing besides South Florida?
0: Um, uh, generally pretty well. I'm trying to, all right, let me think about this. Uh, so uh, we played in Richmond and uh, we stayed with that band of Vale. Um, and uh, we had, somebody had gotten a bottle of vodka and I was, I was, those my, those were my salad days when I was, green in judgment. I didn't realize how much vodka I could drink before I turned into a complete mess. And I drank way too much vodka, even before the gig started. And <laughs> so I was like lying in our van, puking out the back while they were while, while they were trying to get us into the gig. And um, and so the avail guys thought it was really, really funny. And so we didn't play that night, but they thought it was really funny. Um, and then uh, we, let's see, we played in like Cleveland and um, not too. I think I like. They had pizza. They'd given us pizza, and I smashed pizza all over my face and rolled around it. And everybody thought, everybody thought it was pretty entertaining. Um, and then by the time we got to the West Coast, we had played enough shows where like the set was at. Le- it wasn't that destructive. It was at least like sixty percent music. So uh, by the time we did that, like it was getting a little bit more well received because it wasn't as ridiculous. Like it actually had like some similarity to a real band.
1: <laughs> Is that the only band you were the singer of?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so after we got to California, mm. we kind of figured it had to run its course and two of the band, three of the band members wanted to stay there in California. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of like run its course. So I came back and at that point I'd caught the band bug and I wanted to be in another band. Um, so I was friends with, so uh, the person Emil who had roadied with chicken head um he we came back and we were like talking like man we really we should start a band he's like yeah I'll learn to play bass and and I was like cool he's like and I know this guy that can play guitar this, uh, this guy Raph and I was like all right cool and I was like so I guess there's not really a position for a singer here huh and he's like <laughs> they, were, they were like no not really so I was like god damn I'm gonna have to learn to play drums so that's basically what I did is I learned to play drums because nobody else wanted to do it so yeah, yeah. So that was really the only band that like I was the front man for. Then every other band since then it's been like um like uh like drums slash backup vocals.
1: What's your preference? Do you prefer the the drums?
0: Well at this point the drums for mm. sure because it's like yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot less weight to carry as far as like the performance goes, but also just drums is actually playing, you know, like it's actually like there's groove and there's there's that really cool thing about being in a band where you have that kind of unspoken communication with the other members of the band and just the thing that makes music really really cool and interesting you know yeah i definitely prefer to play drums more than sing at this point in my life for sure
1: who was the first band you did play drums for
0: Uh, crumbs so Crumbs, crumbs yeah basically i learned yeah i learned to play drums and uh yeah so so um uh Emil and Raph, we all, all three of us decided we wanted to be in a band and we were really, really, we were like, yeah, we should be in a band that sounds like the Ramones. That would be totally awesome. So yeah, basically all I did is I got together the worst kit in the world made from like partially homemade parts and I put it together in my garage and I just listened to the first three Ramones albums on repeat until I could like do that four on the floor, like 16th note Ramones style drumming. And then, uh, then eventually got workable enough that we could actually start putting our own songs together.
1: And did you think at that time that it would really would be a band that made any headway, or like was it just kind of no, for fun? I, like,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I've kind of always, I, I've never, never really harbored any delusions of grandeur. I mean, like. I don't know, just because I've observed, like, other people in bands and, like, the paths that they've taken and stuff, um, and I don't know, like, I've always kind of tried to hold the opinion that, like, uh, to quote to quote my friend Glenn Danzig, hey, who I do this for, hey, me or you, I do this for me, you know, what I mean, like, to, to me, like, the whole point of, um, the whole point of playing music is self-satisfaction and the ability to, you um, to, to satisfy your creative desires you know and if anything else comes of it that's fucking awesome that's great that's gravy on it but the 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 real reason to do it to me and I always kind of tried to hold this is that it's fun and it makes me happy you know and so yeah the crumbs I mean I don't think we really had any terrific aspirations it then you know just from meeting the lookout people basically what happened with the crumbs is um So we became friends with the Lookout people, and they had some interest in maybe putting out a record of ours. Um, And then uh, uh, Dookie came out, the Green Day album Dookie came out, and suddenly Lookout Records was flush with cash. Because even though they didn't put Dookie out, you know, a million kids, two million kids, five million kids bought Dookie. And so a million of those kids became hardcore Green Day fans and wanted to hear the music that Green Day made before Dookie. And at that point, Lookout Records still owned the rights to I think the first two albums, a couple seven inches. So suddenly, Lookout Records went from, you know, being this small label um, that I think maybe their be- biggest seller was like Operation Ivy or something, to suddenly becoming flush with cash, and they were able to sign a lot of the bands that they didn't. Um, that they, that they had liked, but didn't really have the financial wherewithal to do before. And so like, yeah, they offered to do a record for us and we thought that was great and then, this is great. We're gonna get to tour with the queers and the swinging and udders and, and play big shows and this is gonna be totally awesome. And so, yeah, yeah, it was fun. But I mean, I, I never, we never really, I don't think we ever really harbored this idea. I mean, I wanted to play, I wanted to make sure that we played as good as we ever could and that, you know, that we presented like a really good show but other than that, like, I didn't really, you know, think, like, anything beyond that, I mean, I don't know, I I saw Black Flag when I was a kid, when I was 14, I saw Black Flag in Albuquerque, and one of the things that really, really sticks with me is everybody's tuning up, and Chuck Dukowski, the bass player, is ready to go, he's already tuned up, and he's just, like, he's walking around on stage, like, thumping the bass, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, and to me, that was, like, that's it. That's it. Like that freaking energy, you know, let's fucking play, let's make music, let's do this. And so, yeah, that was like always, I don't know, something I've always like, that's always really stuck in my mind as far as like being in a band and wanting to be like, you know, wanting to play music.
1: Where do you think, where do you think the crumbs was received the best out of all the different places you had a chance to play?
0: California, definitely. But I mean, that kind of like that, that's generally for punk rock. That's kind of like, it's it's more acceptable there you know it's funny like like in South Florida like playing live original music you're almost like a pariah you know like it's just not on the menu down here this is not a place where live original music is is considered like something people want to do you know like people will flock to see cover bands here you know um people love to go see DJs here but just like seeing live original music or supporting live original bands here is just not it's not part of, a, part of what, what there is, you know, you get a little more north into Florida. Sure. Absolutely. Because it's close enough to the touring circuit that bands are, are from other places are willing to come down into, into Orlando and Jacksonville and stuff. But coming this far down South is just for most bands, most touring bands, isn't really, it's, it's too, it's too much work for too little reward, you know, so, uh, I mean, and this is also one of the things that like touring outside of Florida opened my eyes to like, oh, my God, people like people like rock and roll and punk rock in other places like, you know, in California, like people like, you know, there's adults that are into punk rock, you know, which when being early 20s at the time was very, very shocking to me, because for Mo from for Fort, for, for Fort Lauderdale in South Florida, like, you know, most people kind of by the time they hit 25, they kind of left punk rock, they didn't really they weren't interested anymore you know um so yeah california definitely which was which i think is like just generally true because um i mean on the east coast is true but definitely on the west coast it's even more true where it's such um an uh it's such a part of like popular culture you know like people grow up on punk rock and it never you know even if they become adults they never really give it up you know where yeah here it was it was a lot different
1: i'm assuming you uh all got in a van and oh yeah, did that whole, did that whole trek. Uh, totally, totally, any, yeah. any stories from the road that stand out to you no. that uh, you want to share? I mean, just,
0: the, just the typical stuff. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, I, being in a van and not having a shower for four days, living on Taco Bell burritos with my friends is still, the best times of my life no matter what you know like yeah like it's 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 a uh, it's not fun i mean listen hey a million songs a million bands have written songs about the road <laughs> i guess and so it's all well documented but yeah i mean just i don't know like yeah lots of we we when we just when we when we got on lookout they gave us like a little bit of like a signing bonus which is enough for us to get new equipment because we didn't really have great equipment and to find like a van to like tour in and so um we my friend brad was a mechanic we used to call him the golden ranch he actually he went uh triple a against all authority um our friends ska band they toured they got a school bus and they toured in that and they took brad with them because the school bus had mechanical problems and brad rebuilt the engine on that school bus in a parking lot in i think texas which like probably speaks to like the level of mechanic this guy was um so yeah when the crumbs had the money to get a van like I asked brad hey will you go with me I like I want to go look at a used van and so we went and found like this like like beat up like white passenger van that had been owned by like a roofing company or something and it was just all beat up and brad looked at it and he's like it'll make it he's like "It'll, it'll make it across the country a couple times so this is you know if that's what you're looking for this is what you should get and so yeah so we got this this cheap van and I remember There was a hole in the floor (laughs) near the, it had like a, a a four in the floor, six shift. And so there was a hole. And so you could see the ground (laughs) like while you were driving, no AC, but yeah, we, so we got that. And then we all just like, kind of like put the, put the sweat equity in, built like a loft in the back for the couch in it, like made room for all our equipment and just like headed out, started booking shows and, and headed out. Wow.
1: Was that in the summer?
0: Oh God. It was so we, went on tour a lot when when we were when I was in the when I was doing the crumbs. Um yeah, like uh I mean God like three months at a time i'd be home for a month and go out three months at a time then home for a month. Um but uh yeah like um in the winter in the summer uh the 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 worst the worst memories I was like driving through Arizona in the summer and uh no AC so we all have the windows open and we're all stripped down to our boxer shorts just driving driving through the uh <laughs> driving through the at night to try and make it cooler but that didn't really help that much and just like it's like feeling like we all had the windows open and it just feels like somebody's like got a hair dryer pointed at you um but uh yeah you I should mean, know about
1: that, that being from new mexico that dry heat right yeah
0: yeah 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 but even new mexico like where i grew up in New mexico is like a little bit more arid it was like like uh the northern part of the state which is more like the tail end of the rocky mountains but yeah the flat out the flat desert of arizona is Oh, that heat ain't going nowhere. There's nothing to dissipate it. There's no greenery. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Um yeah, I mean the, the other funny, I guess like one funny story I can I can think from that I mean there was like a lot of just stupid stuff that happened. But um the one one funny thing is I like, we were driving through, God it was either, it was Arizona, it was actually Arizona. And so um, we're driving and it's just like, it's a janky looking van. And so it's not really the most unsuspicious thing that a passing cop's gonna see. And so we're driving and we see like the, you know, the the cop lights in our back, in the back window. We're like, all right, we're getting pulled over. Just everybody just chill. So we pull over. And so the cop comes up to us is like, uh, so uh, where are you from? What's your name? And so I'm like, oh, Chuck Luce from uh, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Emil, Emil, Emil Bussy. I'm from uh, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, John Bonano, our other guitar player I'm from Miami, Florida, and then Raf, our singer, had the thickest Spanish accent. He's like, Raph, Rafael Luna from from Miami? and immediately the cop is like get out all of you get out (laughs) and i was like like like, they were like what's going on i was like man you know we're not in south florida anymore dude cops are people in other parts of the country are really racist (laughs) you know like like as soon as they heard that spanish accent they were like the racism meter kicked in and so yeah they made us like get out of the van and they had to take everything out of the van and they had to search through everything in the freaking van and uh and um yeah, it was funny they were going through our bags and um they came they came upon this like little like like uh like in somebody's bag it was like this little like container and they opened it and it's full of white powder and of course being from miami they're looking at us like thinking it's cocaine or something and uh and we're like oh fuck! nobody, nobody brought drugs we said not to bring drugs and then like i kind of look over at it and it's filled with white powder i was like no none of us could afford that much cocaine and so they went and did the drug test on it it's talcum powder like it was just like like baby powder right that somebody brought in their bag and uh but that was funny it was just like the cops were just like oh we got them now the cops came back and was like Yeah, it's talcum get out of here
1: <laughs> you ever get arrested on any of those tours
0: no no hassle but never arrested mm, yeah okay. you know? yeah i i think like seeing like the you uh, know you see this beat up van with a miami plate like there's automatically you know automatically assumptions you know but um yeah yeah i mean just the typical cop hassles make us get out take all our stuff out go through everything when they see that we're just traveling musicians they would let us go that's good that was nice yeah 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 it's a lot lot better than the alternative (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't imagine being arrested in some little podunk town in the middle of nowhere and you know, with no money in our pockets. I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, yeah, I mean, those are some of the best times. I, I, I was telling somebody about that the other day. It's like, I remember being somewhere in the middle of the country. Like, I know at some point we went to every one of those states that's in the connected part of the United States, but I couldn't tell you much about them except with a few exceptions I was like yeah I think there's an Arby's there or something you know we got to town we played a show we ate we left um but I remember like being like somewhere maybe it was near like Cleveland or Cincinnati and I remember like we had just enough gas to get to the gig and we and on top of that maybe had like seven bucks so we went stopped the grocery store and bought like a loaf of bread and a thing of bologna and made into sandwiches and it was like God, we just gotta get to the next gig and we got to the next gig and luckily we had t-shirts to sell we sold all our t-shirts we suddenly had like 300 bucks in our pocket like all right we're awesome yay back on the road um but yeah yeah but even like being in that situation it was just like this is still the best time of my life you know this is still like like there's nothing that's going to be better you know the, the the best day working is still worse than the than the worst day touring
1: where were some of the places you were sleeping
0: Oh God, Uh, (laughs) Uh, I, so uh, one thing I started to develop is I'm going to sleep in the van to protect the equipment, but also because then I won't have to sleep on the floor of some disgusting punk house where I wake, yeah, just I remember waking up and there's like, there's like pennies stuck to me and, or like waking up and like opening my eyes and the first thing I see is like a cigarette butt and a cat turd, like, yeah. So like after a while, I just developed like, I'll sleep in the van, guys. It's cool. I'll totally, I'll totally get it. And then also, and then the other thing that, that, that developed from that is like a sense of like um uh, uh, how to tour well, backpack, how to load everything in my backpack, sleeping bag, my own pillow, uh, um, the, the small tube of toothpaste, Q-tips, a small toothbrush, uh like all that kind of stuff, you know, like, like just develop like kind of a sensibility about like what what the very minimum i should bring but that's going to satisfy everything i need to do
1: were your bandmates similar minded like you
0: not so much <laughs> not so much a lot of a lot of lot a lot lot of trash bags just jammed with clothes and then and then like a weekend they smell really really bad and they can't find their socks <laughs> i was gonna
1: ask i mean are you actually doing laundry on those tours
0: oh yeah 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 oh i mean yeah it would it would it would get bad but yeah there's there's actually times that i would force other like i mean and this is true for like every band i've been in that i've toured in like there would be a time when it's like we're doing laundry tomorrow no i'll do your laundry for you if that's what i have to do but we're doing laundry there's no way this can continue to go on like this yeah yeah yeah. i mean like and also like it's like you know like like uh uh it's even like the bands i was in later it tended to be like i tend to be the older one in the band because it's like you know people in bands tend to be like in their young, in their mid-20s uh especially if they're like you know they have the freedom to tour um and so like yeah there may maybe not personal hygiene and uh and sanitary services and taking care of their laundry is probably not the biggest concern in the world to them but it is to the people around them <laughs> so yeah yeah it would be a yeah like uh no and and eventually after after doing that enough like i would build a tour schedule because i usually book most of the tours where i'd build in like during the week during the the less the the day of the week that we were least likely to get a show make that laundry day and yeah just find a laundromat and wash everything
1: what made you decide to uh to leave the crumbs with all the the fun the touring and the the records Uh, you were coming out the lookout Signing and all that. What made you decide to leave the crumbs?
0: Um, I just got I got tired of it. I mean, like, like it was definitely like a lot of fun, but then it also it does wear on you. You know, I mean, like, like you know, missing missing my bed and my cat. You know, like, uh, you know, having to leave my apartment in like the hands of like a friend that sublets it, and hoping they're taking care of my pets. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, just the other thing too is just you know, once you're trapped in a van with somebody for eight hours a day for three months in a row. You start to really the the little things really start to get to you like like i can't stand the way this person chews um and when i was in the crumbs we would have this thing where like when we get off tour we don't talk to each other for two weeks if you see me on the street go to the other side of the street don't talk to me don't don't call me don't communicate with me if you see me at a show stay on the other side of the venue like uh, because like by the time we got off tour we'd just be so irritated with each other. I mean, which happens, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, you know. Uh, uh, so yeah, it would it would uh, like after a while I just got tired of it. And also too, it was like like I kind of realized like I couldn't. It was fun, but like I couldn't make like a a life life of it. And I was really interested in doing art, and I really really wanted to like pursue that. And it's you can't really. <laughs> it's difficult to like tell graphic design clients. Hey, I'm gonna be gone for three months, so I can't really work on any of your projects till I get back, you know? So yeah, like, yeah, it just it just reached that point, you know.
1: Did things slow down with the crumbs after your departure? Did it seem to still kind of remain the same? What was it like for the crumbs after you left?
0: Well, um, I, I mean they kept they kept on going, but I think they were kind of like losing like a little bit of steam too. You know, I think like um like it's just yeah, it wears you down, you know? Like uh like it it is definitely fun and i really really enjoyed it but also it does you know eating shitty food and not sleeping enough like you know after you do that for enough cycles it really really starts to get hard to deal with um so yeah, yeah and uh yeah and i think they were also as you grow up you start to to have other interests you know having some kind of stability in your life um and so i think that just happened for for all all of them after i left as well too, you know like you know they wanted to to just pursue other stuff i mean the crumbs still exists raf raf still keeps it going he's got like you know uh different band members at different times but he still keeps it going i mean not at the level it was when 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 we were doing it you know not like that hardcore like touring like half of the year kind of thing anymore but he still does it you know but i mean yeah he also has you know a job and and uh and and a life
1: (laughs) did you did your relationship change after you left the band
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, just just because we weren't around each other anymore, you know, and there is that thing about like, if you hang out with somebody every day, you have a different, you know, what's going on in their life all the time, you know, and then if you don't see them, then you catch up with them. When you see them, you get to hang out and you get to, you know, recall the past, catch up with the catch up with the present and stuff. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because we weren't I mean, the other thing we were changing too. you know, like we were moving out of our 20s into our early 30s. And it was like, you know, you become a different different person then for sure you know just life, life is different
1: and it seemed like after the crumbs your career with
0: a lot of different bands exploded oh yeah <laughs> like yeah like well, a renaissance
1: just, of all these different
0: <laughs> i just can't imagine not playing music you know yeah. and i mean and the one thing about playing in a band is it kind of it kind of forces you to like, kind of do that. You know, like the thing is like, if you're like, if you just do musical projects on your, on your own, it's easy to go, oh, I'm not going to work on that tonight. But if you're in a band with other people, then it's definitely more like, Oh, Hey, practice is Tuesday and we're already here. And you said you would be here. And so you better be here because we need to practice, you know, and we booked the show. And so we got to show up to the show. And if you don't show up, then we're all going to be screwed, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, I i just can't imagine not being in bands you know it just it definitely wasn't i mean i think the next band after that was maybe heat seekers maybe i can't it all kind of runs together you know i would imagine so like, even, yeah but even heat seekers toured but at that point we had like a little bit more of like um you know like all of us were like we had i don't want to say i guess kind of careers or we had like you know jobs that we cared about that we like to do so like touring wasn't we weren't able to tour like you know half the year like like I was able to do in the crumbs, like, you know, Heat Seekers toured and played South by Southwest a couple of times. And so, yeah, tours were just kind of like uh, more like, all right, we're going for two weeks and then we'll be back, you know?
1: What did you like most about the Heat Seekers?
0: Oh, the music! I love. I mean, the people for sure. Like, yeah, those are those are you know, my brothers and sister. Like, uh, I love those people so much. You know, like, um, but also the music. I mean, like, I, I love that primitive rock and roll. Like, I mean, the Heatseekers, I guess, was more like garage rock. I guess, like, that's probably the general term for it. Um, but I loved. I just love that music. Like, I don't know. To me, that's like, like you know, look, going back to like my my dad's my dad's record. When I was a kid, like it's funny, like so when I was a kid, I was obsessed with like the music that that he liked and he had like a great he grew up in rock and roll like he saw um, he saw Bill Haley in the Comets. he saw um, screaming Jay Hawkins which was amazing. Like he would tell me about it. when I was a kid, I didn't have as much impact as I did later in my life. Like he was like, he was like, oh yeah, I would see screaming Jay Hawkins. And there was a coffin on stage. And then this guy, this black guy bursts out and he's dressed like a voodoo guy. And, and, uh, and all the kids in the front are screaming and fainting. And like, at the time I was like, okay, dad. But then later on, after I really discovered screaming Jay Hawkins, I was like, my dad, my dad saw that. That's so freaking amazing, you know? But it's funny, like after, after I discovered punk rock, I remember like, you know, really getting to the Ramones and then going, back and listening to my dad's record collection again and being like oh this is all the music that like made the ramones you know like the you know the all that garage rock and and stuff was like the that that without that the ramones wouldn't exist you know and so yeah i always really really love that 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 kind of music but also the more specifically than just like those bands like the primitive primitivism of that whole kind of like like early garage rock scene, you know, I mean, the stuff that's on like Lenny Kay's Nuggets compilation and the Pebbles compilation, like all that, like, like 60s frat rock and, and stuff is like, I just, it's very primitive. And and yeah, yeah, which, which I really did. Because to me, like, I don't know, like, to me, like, punk rock has always existed in some form or another, like, when we were cave people out on the Serengeti, and like, like, you know, somebody built a fire and Oog took a stick and hit it against a tree and Oog took two rocks and smashed them together. And we all got together and, you know, ate some ate some wild bison that somebody had caught or something. And we we danced around to music and had fun, like, you know, and we felt like maybe the world wasn't so scary and cold. Like that's that's punk rock, that's like rock and roll. You know, that's like the primitive aspects of beat and rhythm and, and, and melody that like, you know, that, that still makes rock and roll cool today. That's so, yeah, right. he I, I love the people and I definitely love the music.
1: Yeah, they were a lot of fun to see live.
0: Oh, right. Uh, on. That dude, that was the other thing. Very super energetic, like, which is just so fun to play. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I always I, always, I always tell the story, like, um, when I was in the Crumbs, we played with this band called Teen Generate from Japan, and they were the most turned on band I'd ever seen. Like, from the first riff, they were just, like, so into it and so excited to play and, like, jumping around and acting crazy and 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 i love that and to me like the heat seekers had that kind of like that energy where it's just like yeah let's rock and roll let's have fun you know let's 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 make this like, like silly and crazy and energetic
1: who were some of your favorite bands to play with when you were in the heat seekers
0: oh god geez that's a good uh irish Car Bomb were great um uh, God, who else did we play with in the heat circuits? It's hard to remember that era. You know, it's funny, like I just, <laughs> I go back and look at like old flyers and stuff from that. And I'm like, oh, we played with that band. I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, yeah, there were God, there was like a, a, a lot of really great bands. Uh, one of my favorites was a local band called The Remnants, um, who were like some slightly older people that had moved here from New York at different times and then formed a band. Um, and they were just like kind of like bluesy rock and roll, but they were really, really, really cool um i mean against authority i think heat seekers might play with them a couple times at that uh, at that point god who else there's man there's so many it's hard to it's hard to recall i think i
1: saw the heat seekers play with the bitter cups a couple times
0: oh yeah 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 yeah, totally yes oh my god and those guys uh so yeah the bitter cups um before the bitter cups those the the people that were in the bitter cups were in another band called billy belowby um which was just like oh it was so funny it was like um uh uh like they all they <laughs> they worked really hard to work out these 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 kind of skits that maybe not everybody in the audience got but the people that did get it was amazing so yeah the heat seekers uh before we played with the bitter cups we played with billy Belobi and we played at this record store in west palm beach uh got sound exchange and it was like a little record store and we played with them and they billy billy came out they played a couple songs then they all put on aprons that had like a hammer and sickle on them and they all put on these like little like hats like the kind of like hats like a a soda jerk and ice cream shop would shop would wear and they said and they were they went we're socialists but we're ice cream socialists and they brought out these huge five-gallon tubs of ice cream, and they started making ice cream cones for everybody, like, like all the kids that were at the show. And, of course, it turned into, like, an ice cream fight, and everybody lobbing ice cream at each other. But it was just the most – it was just, like, so fun and stupid and, like, silly. And then I remember the Heat played another show with Billy Belobi. And they, they – for that show, they called themselves Vanilla Friendship Bracelet, which – in their minds was like a distortion of some, uh, it was a distortion of chocolate watch band, I think, or some 60s psych band. Yeah. But anyway, they all dressed in like black metal, like they all wore corpse paint and, and they all like dressed in black. And we the Heat Seekers played with them at this little venue that was like a place where... Uh, it was like a kava bar, I think, where AA people hung out. And so, so already the concept is very kind of like it's very meta and it really you kind of kind of know them to understand the concept. It's 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 already kind of off the charts. And then they're presenting it for these people who are like recovered alcoholics that just want to do their kava and aren't expecting this, and they were so confused by it. <laughs> and like there's maybe like 10 of us there that it, they're getting the joke, they're like, this is ridiculous, and then at one point, like the singer, Jason goes, now it is time for the milkman. And they had one of their friends come out, dressed as a milkman, <laughs> carrying a pitcher of milk. And he gave like glasses of milk to everybody in the audience. Um, Yeah, yeah. It was just very, very, uh, very, uh, very well thought out stuff that I don't think anybody got. I loved it because I thought it was so ridiculous, but yeah. I don't think everybody in the audience really, really got it. Yeah, uh, Heat Sears also played, we, we played a lot of shows at, um, was it FUBAR at the time? No, it was, uh, it was formerly the Metal Factory that became the Factory. Right. And, and yeah, Port in Mario. that era, uh, there was a couple, I think Grant Hall was booking a lot of shows there. And um, yeah, we had the fortune to play like on a, a lot of the shows that were more kind of like, I guess, like in our style, like more like rock and roll style band yeah. kind of stuff. Although he did book like a lot of hardcore and, and uh and like emo stuff for the time.
1: Did you find that? fans of the crumbs were also finding they were fans of heat seekers
0: um yeah 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 i think so i mean yeah yeah uh i mean it's rock and roll you know yeah Yeah. so i think it's like yeah for people that like uh yeah totally and 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 the and the weird thing is like um like uh from just the era that the crumbs were at i think a lot of for a lot of kids it was kind of like their entry point into punk rock which is like wow i feel very honored to like be that 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 uh that conduit for like a lot of kids lives. Cause I understand how much that MDC show I mentioned meant to me, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I think like there was, it was funny cause like the kids that were probably like 15 when they saw the crumbs were probably maybe getting into their twenties when they saw the heat seekers, you know? So yeah, it was like a, uh, I think, I think most of them dug it. Like, I think they saw the similarities there.
1: How was touring any different compared to when you're with the crumbs in the nineties and then touring some with the heat seekers in the early two thousands, was there any difference or, oh, uh, well, yeah. in the way that I you mean, were touring?
0: Yeah. Just, just cause we were, we were better financed. Cause by that point we were all like adults with like real jobs. So like, it wasn't like, you know, in the crumbs, it was like, Oh God, I really hope I can come back to my job when we get back because I've got like, you know, $3 in my pocket coming back off door. Whereas like, um, in the, uh, in uh, in the heat seekers, it was like, oh, okay, well, we all have like jobs and like we've got situations set up where if we take off for two weeks it's not going to really be that big a deal and then the other thing too is like I had bought like a, a Honda Odyssey minivan <laughs> before the heat seekers and that's what we used to tour in and so that was re- it was really nice it was like um so it was a minivan and it was enough to fit four of us maybe five if we put down the middle seat um plus all our gear but it also had like a really nice sound system and cup holders all over and a flip down tv it was like a, it was like a made for soccer moms you know yeah and so and then and then the other thing too is like i put like a like like one of those soccer stickers on the back window which assured that we never got pulled over by cops because cops would see us like going by and they would think like like it didn't like in the van in in the in the crumbs it was like "Hmm, sketchy white van with no windows with a miami plate questionable like heat seekers like oh soccer mom van with a soccer sticker fort lauderdale ah no they're probably not worth investigating you know but yeah yeah. A suspect. Um, yeah yeah totally and also like yeah we were also like like uh in the heat series like financially of of the ability to actually get like hotel rooms and stuff so it wasn't we didn't have to like sleep on people's floors so much which was which is a, a welcome change oh i bet yeah but yeah <laughs> no. yeah and also like yeah just getting to i mean also it's just it's funny to like think about how how much it changed like the when when i was in the crumbs like um uh, we played a South by Southwest uh that music festival in Austin and it was like very very sparse it was was like I I think I don't know if it was maybe the first years or just it really hadn't taken off and then when the Heatseekers played in it uh played one it was like it had become like the destination event for like you know that people plan their 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 year around taking off to go to Austin for like uh for 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 it and it was just like so much bigger and and, and intense and, and amazing. It was, it was, it was really amazing. I remember like, I mean, the chromosome was cool. It was like, I got to see like a bunch of like, you know, punk rock bands I wanted to see, but then like the, the one where that we went to with the Heat seekers, I got to see three, six mafia and I got to see, um, I got to see Elvis Costello. So it was like definitely a lot more impressive.
1: Did you get a chance to meet any of uh, the other artists that were headliners at, at a show like that?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one, that's the one thing about like something like that is like you're just so, especially being from South Florida, none of those bands were going to come down to South Florida. I mean, maybe one out of 50 of them, you know, and suddenly like you're hanging out with them, you're in the same space with them. And like, yeah, you get to like, you know, you get to, you get to just, yeah, I know. I mean, the, the, that's the, it was the same day. We like went to go walk down. We saw Three Six Mafia and then we were walking back and we we're walking back to club and kind of peer dance like, oh dude, Elvis Costello. And like, you know, walked in, then walked down a little bit further and like, oh, oh, my God, the gossip and uh, Exene Cervanca Cervanka's playing here, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. And then like the next day we were like, you know, eating barbecue at Stubbs and we're sitting next to like Exene and John Doe from X, you know. So, yeah, it just it, it's just a, a thing that doesn't really happen down here too much, you know, just as being removed from everything as we are yeah. down
1: here. And the Heat Seekers, to my disappointment,
0: personally, uh-huh. only uh-huh.
1: put out one record. Yep, that's it. Why? Why was that? Why was that it? Why was there nothing else?
0: I I, again, just people changing and moving on. And look, most bands are happy to have one really good album. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, no. uh, True. All the band members were wanting to move on to other stuff. Um, The singer, uh, singer, got in a relationship, and they wanted to move out of state. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, just you know, people, people changing, people's lives changing, and stuff. And uh, yeah, you gotta. I mean, it's it's if it's going to if it's not easy, you got to let it go sometimes, you know, if it's not if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And it doesn't it doesn't make sense to fight it.
1: Did you all ever record any other music that just was never released or was that really just it What was on the CD? That
0: was pretty much it. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. there's probably some other stuff recorded. Maybe I'll look in a hard hard drive and see if I have it. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much it. That that uh that one album. I mean, like, yeah, that was and those have been songs we've been playing for a while. Maybe there's like three or four other songs outside of that, um, that that maybe we just recorded demo versions and stuff mm. of. But uh, but yeah, yeah, and that and that was great because we, we put that on our Fred and Gabe's record, our record label Ohev, which also put out a bunch of other really amazing stuff, none of which sounds the same. He also put out that band Hot, yeah, he put put out that band Hot, Hot Heat. Yes. Um, and they had like a kind of like radio hit like a few years later. Um, Rocking Horse Winner, who are kind of like more like emo, I guess. Um, yeah, and is I just love that record label because he, oh, he put out God, what was it? Uh, like it's a a D beat band from Minneapolis whose name escapes me now, but that I just love that label because it was just like so everything, nothing. It was like there wasn't a sound on it that like there wasn't a, you couldn't say like oh that's the oh sound it was like you know everything he put out was like so interesting and different
1: it was quite different than yeah. you you couldn't just take one and go right to the other like oh totally yeah, yeah no, exactly yeah
0: yeah yeah no i remember like looking at like like uh because i didn't i didn't really know about too many too much of the other artists on the label um until uh until like uh he wanted to put out our record and then i like listened to like the like the other stuff i was like oh my god this is like yeah it's all over the place you know which i think is super fucking cool like yeah it's i mean i guess there's something about like uh like continuity and expecting everything to kind of like you know have the same kind of feel but there's also something really cool and uniquely surprising about like listening to five different bands that are all on the same label that have five different approaches to music
1: that's right <laughs> uh and speaking of a different approach, I think the one of my one of my other favorite bands that you were in later uh, was the Drugzars. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. That was like um, that was like an honor to be in that band because yeah, those guys were like in the those guys were in bands that like I worshipped. You know. Yeah. So um, yeah. So dr- the first version of Drugzars is mike o'brien from the e uh jeff hodap who was in roach motel um uh the drummer from the e and then different bass players at different times and then um chris cotti the the drummer uh passed away and they asked me if i wanted to join i was like oh my god i would love to join and yeah yeah so those oh god just being a band with those guys is just like so amazing i mean i mean. Roach Motel are like arguably like Florida's first hardcore band, I guess. And the EAT are like, I remember when I first discovered the EAT, like, um, and I discovered them probably the way a lot of other people discovered them was via um, Jello Biafra. So yeah, the EAT, for anybody that doesn't really know, were like, kind of like, a, at the time, a fairly obscure Miami band. Um, they put out a couple seven inches, um, both totally amazing. Two, two seven inches, then a couple, of like, uh, a couple LPs, but... At that point, uh, Jelleby Offer wrote about them and wrote about how great they were, and suddenly the two seven inches became incredibly collectible, um, where like one was, at the time, one was worth 300 one was worth 400 I think probably now you can get probably like 1000 bucks each for them, um, but the EAT were just so neat, <laughs> they were like like this, like like driving, but not like you could, this weird collection of influences, like there's Blue Wister Cult in there and there's The Police in there. And then there's like straightforward punk rock in there. And then there's like a million other things that I can't even begin to know because it was like what they were all about, you know? And so, yeah, I remember discovering The Eat from reading about about them um, in Maximum Rock and Roll and then finding uh, there was a place called all wait was it all books and records yeah all books and records, which is like a used record store and finding one of their seven inches and inside was the address for Their record label which is a PO box In Hialeah and writing to them. And then one of them writing back I think It was actually Chris Cotty the drummer Writing back Going oh yeah you know we're not really. We play like a reunion gig like once a year at this place called Churchill's, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta go check it out!" And like, of course, I went to go see it. I was totally fanboy geek, and they're like, "Why are you even asking these questions? Like, who are you?" And uh, and uh, and yeah. Little did you
1: know at that time you would set yourself on fire at the
0: yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. hindsight hindsight is twenty twenty um but uh but yeah yeah so then um like being able to play with those guys was just like such a like a total honor and i love those i love those songs i love that music like it's just so so weird and kind of negative and interesting
1: why do you think they recruited you to be the drummer
0: because i was always hanging around (laughs) and like i'd been playing drums i think at that point i like um i wasn't actually i i think that was before heat seekers after after crumbs i think it's hard to remember sometimes um but yeah yeah i think it's just like that i was they needed a drummer and i was like probably like the most the the closest the closest option that was available that was willing to do it and uh was accessible probably
1: (laughs) any uh drugs uh drugs are shows stand out to you as a good memory for you
0: um oh god so one time we played a halloween show at this place called the the culture room in fort lauderdale and um and Mike, the singer, was the singer, guitar player, was like, "Yeah, we should wear costumes." I was like, "I don't know, what do you wear?" He's like, "Oh, it's just like cats." So we all got little cat ears and little cat tails, and and dressed the rest in black. But it was just the weirdest thing because it's like these four middle aged men <laughs> dressed as cats <laughs> playing this weird punk rock, which I thought was really really awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uh, I don't we didn't really play too many. We didn't play too many like out of town shows with that band. They were all like, you know, I think maybe the, the farthest out of town we played was like West Palm Beach, just because like uh, they were older and didn't really weren't into the idea of traveling too far. But it was a really, really great experience. And I really, really loved playing those songs. Yeah. yeah and then and I got to be in in, in in that band with another one of like my my Florida punk rock idols, Marky Awesome, who was uh, who was in uh, Trash Monkeys and uh some other like south florida bands like early south florida bands and he played bass in it for a while so yeah no that was really it was a cool experience
1: it it really was like a super group of florida <laughs> yeah. punk rockers a,
0: a, a super group for like unknown florida unknown florida weirdos yeah totally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah the drugstores put out i think a couple seven inches and there was yeah a- yeah there was a split that you all did with with uh, I think an all girl band called the Gar Girls. Gar
0: Girls, yes, yes, that was actually um, yeah, that was um, so so Jeff uh, who played guitar in um, in uh, in Drugzars he had been in Roach Motel he was also in another band called Morbid Opera with his wife Lisa and um, Lisa had started an all girl band called Gar Girls and so yeah there was a split seven inch with Gar Girls and Drugzars and then i think then there's two other uh drugs are 7 inches uh one is called on venus drugs are on venus i can't remember the name of the other one um but uh yeah yeah gargles girl were great just like uh there's an old old south florida all girl band called teddy and the frat girls um who were on alternative tentacles records they have a 12 inch alternative tentacles records but i i feel that like gargles girl were like the spiritual uh, the spiritual, um, like uh, like the spiritual children of that band of uh, Teddy and the Frat Girls, like they kind of carried the the torch of sloppy all girl punk.
1: Were there any other all girl punk bands, or that you kind of remember from the scene down there that God, stood out to you? N-
0: not really. I mean, there was definitely like like bands that had female female people involved. You know, I mean, like uh, Creamy Electric Santa. Um, the uh, 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 Priya uh, was in the band and played um, violin and sang, and they had a girl, another girl named Jan who like sang backups and did headstands. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really yeah I can't think of any other like all female bands. I mean, there's definitely like females involved in the bands for sure, but like not any band I can think about it's all all female. I mean, the other uh, the other uh, female fronted band that really really I can think of was uh, Los Canadians, um, which was it was actually uh, two members who were also in Chickenhead, um, but uh, fronted uh, by our friend Ivy, who just had the most dynamic voice ever. Like very, very soulful. It's just like such a, a really, really amazing singer and front woman.
1: I had to also just quickly mention, speaking of uh, female bands, recently, you know, the the posted... Check uh, uh, out the on po- deal the posted seven inch of jack off jill Uh, so so what was your connection with jack off jill how did you all get connected oh uh,
0: um, i just really good friends with jessica like we dated for a while um yeah 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 yeah. Uh, i was never really into i i i love her love all the other members of the band never really too into the music they were doing i really didn't like marilyn manson like i thought it was just kind of stupid from the from the get-go like i was just like this is like dumb it's just like shock for the sake of shock like it's easy it's easy to shock people I mean it's not it doesn't take any it doesn't take any 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 special skill I mean shocking people for the sake of making a point okay totally I absolutely understand that but just like Marilyn Manson and you know it just that whole kind of scene just really rubbed me the wrong way I didn't really really like it and you know at the time like um I, you know I think Jessica had her problems with with members of them but it wasn't as as out in the open as it is now where you know she's accused like Jordy who she dated at the time of being a sexual predator who was the bass player for Marilyn Manson so yeah I always loved those people I mean it's it's the same thing with that band Load. I loved all the members never could really get behind the music <laughs> like like they were okay and you know I, I like I really yeah I mean Bobby was like I loved Bobby like I have so many <laughs> awesome memories <laughs> um So we used to, we all lived in this punk house, like in, in Fort Lauderdale, where I think there was like, it was like a three bedroom house. And there was like 15 of us living there, which made rent for everybody, like $60 a month at most, which was great. I mean, like, you know, like you didn't have to work, work, uh, work too much and you could like, you know, you could totally survive. And so many, I have so many memories of like waking up on a Sunday morning and like, like sliming out of bed. And walk into like our, our kitchen, the communal kitchen and make some coffee and Bobby's sitting there, Bobby, Bobby from Lode and he's like, hey hey man, hey what's up? And I'm like, oh hey dude, you're here, why are you here? Oh, one of your roommates gave me a ride back here last night. I was like, oh that's cool dude, it's good to see you. He's like, you want a beer? And then he would offer me like a room temperature Bush 16 Bush ouncer. I'd be like, yeah, dude, I'm good. I'm totally good. So yeah, yeah, that was like, yeah, um, Jackoff Jill. Love the people. Never a huge fan of the music, you know. But I mean, I don't know. That's you can't. Music's music. It's it's sometimes a very much a matter of personal taste.
1: Absolutely. That's what I like about a lot of the different bands you're in because there's so many of them that uh, you start you start to listen to a lot of them and there's again there's so so so, a lot of them are so different in the way that they sound. I,
0: I I really thank you for saying that yeah yeah i mean i don't know yeah i don't i don't know like the world of music is so interesting and i mean i think they're probably all within the kind of same subgenre but like yeah yeah i mean the world of the world of music is so huge and, and interesting like why wouldn't you want to what do you gonna eat chicken every day <laughs> you know like why wouldn't you want to like go and like experience the the multitude of flavors you know
1: i would say you know one of the bands that just stands out in terms of just how different it sounds, and I don't know how long you were in the band for. You'll have to hopefully share. Was Obsidian?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was up it was with that more recently.
1: of a goth rock like goth type rock, yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah
0: you know. I, I don't know. I, I always like consider, you know, like I always consider goth part of punk. Like, yeah. I don't know, to, to me, when, when I was when I was a kid, when I was like, you know, first getting into punk rock, like the term goth hadn't been like kind of established yet. And so there was always those like um, there's always those 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 members of the punk rock community who maybe into like darker stuff, like, you know, like into Bauhaus or like into like Susie, like into more of the punk rock stuff or even the stuff that was like a little bit louder and crazier, maybe into like um, like a, a birthday party and even like on the punk side, TSOL bands like that, and like at the time we didn't have the term goth, so that we generally called those people death rockers. But like to me, that's part of like the continuum of of punk rock. I mean, one of my favorite eras is that era from probably maybe like 1979 to maybe 1983, where there's that kind of goth, darkish music happening, but it's happening like all over the world, kind of like. At the same time, you know, there's like you know, like birthday party, and then later Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds from Australia. There's like a whole British like scene there of like you know um, Sisters of Mercy, uh, the Damned. I mean, even though they're early on, like you know, kind of like they're kind of like coming into like their own as like a kind of like goth kind of band there. Um, then there's the and alley- the Drug
1: Sars open for the Damned.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great. Story Not to shift too. gears so
1: quick. Yeah. What, oh, yeah, what yeah, was yeah.
0: that? What was that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the damned were scheduled to play in Fort Lauderdale and uh, the drugstores are going to we're going to open for them. And so the day of that show, like a hurricane was coming in. And so like I at that time, I lived down the street from the venue. And so probably about like maybe like noon or one o'clock that day, all my power went out. So, I'm like, all right, well, the show's probably not happening. And this is also pre internet and cell phone communication. So, like, it wasn't, couldn't just text somebody and go, hey, what's going on? So, the power went out. So, I figured, like, well, if my power is out, the venue's like a couple blocks over. They're probably, the power's probably out too, and it's not happening. So, I'm like, well, I guess just to go into hurricane mode. So, I took down the bottle of rum and just started drinking. It's like, you know, I'm just going to. Try and pass out early and try and you know hopefully we'll have power back in a couple of days or whatever and so like i'm i get kind of like kind of buzz and they hear a knock on the door and i'm like what the hell and i open it and it's jeff from the drug dealer. he's like you ready and i'm like ready for what he's like he's like the venue still has power they're still having the show and i'm like they're still having the show like it's a hurricane he's like yeah they're still having it so let's go i was like all right all right so i scrambled and got all my drums together we packed it up we went over there and so yeah so it was the damned the livid kittens and the drug czars at Bar in Fort Lauderdale in the middle of a hurricane, maybe 30 people there, max, 30 people there. And so, but the, the powers did on the whole show and the damned wanted to play and we were like, all right, totally cool. And so, yeah, we just all hung out. It was just um, totally amazing. We got to, got to hang out with the, with the damned. And that was also like my second favorite damned lineup because it was Patricia Morrison on base. Um, and Dave Vanian, and and for a second there, I thought like, man, I bet I could hit on Patricia Morrison. Then I realized that she was married to Dave Vanian. I was like, oh, he's Dave Vanian, like oh my god, like I've never, he's like God, like you know. Right. But uh, but it was like just the really the the just such a weird fun fun show like. 30 of us huddled down like joking around with Captain Sensible in the middle of a hurricane and uh the promoter the promoter wasn't too happy about it because you still had to pay him (laughs) they played the show and even though nobody showed up you still had to pay him but it was it was still a, still a lot of fun um all right so wait so switching back so yeah yeah so uh that era between like 79 to like 82 83 there's like there's, there's a lot of like that dark music, which I guess becomes called, it, it's called goth later on, but at the time, there's not really a word for it, you know, and it's like all over the world, there's British scene, there's the the Australian scene, in LA, there's bands like TSOL, um, Christian Death, you know, like, they're all kind of like vibing on this like, um like, like darker kind of thing. Um, and then, but also at that time, there's so much different stuff in the mix. There's like, Elements of the Blues um, with like a um, about Jeffrey Lee Pierce and Gun Club. There's like a band like Gun Club who are like dark, but have like elements of the blues in them. Then you have TSOL who have more straight ahead punk rock roots, but still have like that kind of like, they've got some keyboards and some of the stuff. Then there's stuff that's more like industrial electronic that's in the mix there. And so I love that era of music. I just think it's one of the coolest because it's like there's no, nothing's been kind of shaken out yet. I mean, in a couple of years after that, this will be industrial, and this will be dark wave, and this will be goth, you know, but at that point, it's all like, kind of in the mix. So I've always loved that music. I mean, to me, it was, it's, it's, yeah, goth is punks, like, you know, like, it's, it's part of it's part of the whole, the broad spectrum of punk, which I mean, is, I don't know, like, I don't, punk rock is definitely my area of expertise. I don't know if it's true for other genres of music. But the one really interesting thing about punk rock is how many how many, like, specific flavors there are to it, you know? Even bands that are, are like, within the the same sub-genre, like, oi or whatever, you go to different parts of the country, they're going to have different flavors to how they handle it, you know? And that's the one thing I've always, like, really, really liked about punk, punk rock, is, like, yeah, it's all punk rock, but there's just so many different different variations to it that like all kind of maybe maybe subscribe to the same attitude and overall thought process but have so many different ways that they approach the music and the style of it
1: right i think once you're immersed in a certain genre of music mm-hmm. you start to understand that there's well, all these different branches within totally. that genre but unless you're actually in into it you might just see, okay, well, that's just hip-hop or that's just jazz, but there's so many different totally. variations of it within the genre. Oh,
0: totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Hip-hop's a, a, a total another example. There's so many different threads in there. And if you look at it from the outside, it's like, oh, it's all hip-hop or rap. But like, yeah, once you start like discovering it, and that's the mm-hmm. other thing too that I really, really appreciate about hip-hop, it's got that like very localized thing the same way punk rock does, where like the regional aspects of it really can cont- contribute to like, what the specific sound is of that artist based on their localized influences you know yeah 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 and and maybe it's true for like lots of other music that i just don't have enough enough knowledge of you know like uh i mean i kind of know a little bit about jamaican music and there's like kind of like you know that 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 interesting shift between like ska and rock steady and dub and like you know but like i don't know enough about it to like sort to be able to tell you i mean I can tell you, you know, Fugazi's this, you know, that like, you know, a government issue is this, but like, yeah, I just don't know enough about those other things. So maybe it exists in in all kinds of music and I'm I'm just not aware of it, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, I think the Jamaican music, reggae, is another good example where there's all these different branches. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Different styles. And, and
0: And so many of them are just like kind of like stacked on top of each other where they're like, there's this very rapid shift between them. And maybe unless you, you have the ear for it you maybe can't tell the difference between what makes this 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 specific sub, subgenre and what makes this something else you know
1: yeah and i think it's not hard to or uncommon to maybe really be a fan of one type of the genre and then oh yeah did really dislike the other oh, totally, of the genre. Totally. oh yeah so, yeah it's like people say well You don't like punk? Well, I I like punk, but there's different styles of punk that I'm just like, (laughs) I I just can't get into. No,
0: no, yeah. I mean, no, I I definitely uh, have a fondness for ska. I mean, just because it's like like the first wave of ska is very much... uh, Based on like you know Jamaican artists kind of somewhat imitating what they hear in American blues music, um, and then reggae, not so much. There's definitely a lot of interesting stuff in it, but but there's definitely like that kind of like weird like meeting point where Scott's kind of, where Scott's kind of like um, like evolving, I guess, into reggae where there's interesting stuff, and then it kind of gets to a point where it's like I kind of lose interest in it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, it really is about knowing all the knowing how to dot the i's, you know, mm-hmm. to know what what's what.
1: What were your thoughts on the whole ska scene? Because South Florida and Florida in general had a lot of really yeah. um, uh, popular ska bands pop I, up.
0: I love First I love first Wave ska, the stuff from Jamaica. I love that. I love Second Wave ska because it's like, it's basically a punk rock readaption. And that's like, you know, the, the two-tone stuff and like the 80s British stuff. Um, Selector, uh, um, all those bands. Because it's like, and it's a punk rock readaption of of the sensibility of ska and fiercely anti-racist which i think is absolutely amazing you know and then the third wave of ska hit or miss <laughs> i think like a lot of it is like band kids that like discovered the sound and so like it gave them like the impetus to go and play and play in a band but then also bands that like you know were, were reinventing like a, a, against authority is a perfect example of that like you know they're they're elements of ska in there for sure but it's punk rock you know it's like modern punk rock um and it's it it, it, and like with anything it's like the specific band draws from this buckets of different influences to create what they what they what they are um but yeah yeah a lot of the third wave stuff though is just kind of like i don't know kind of misses me it's just kind of like i don't know too dorky or maybe doesn't like um uh infuse enough of like the earlier roots or see where it's coming from to know where to know don't know what makes that music special.
1: What was one of your favorite memories of seeing against all authority play?
0: Oh god, you know what I was just thinking about this. Yeah. Um the first show they ever played was with the Crumbs. So um I think maybe the Crumbs had played like maybe five or six shows at that point. And uh Johnny, the guitar player in the Crumbs had grown he grew up with um with Danny and Joe from Against All Authority and he said hey my friends are in this band called Against All Authority and they really want to play a show they haven't played a show yet and they they think that we can go play a show at Miami Dade College uh we that uh that we can go play a show at like Miami Dade College like out like in the um like in the um like in the quad and I was like okay that sounds i was like i assumed they'd gotten permission and stuff um and so we all got there and we started setting them in the quad and i can't remember if we played first or if they played first but whatever band played first we got through exactly one and a half songs before like the security said no no this isn't happening and so oh we we're like oh that fucking sucks so then um uh so one of the kids was like well my parents aren't home so we can go play in our back in, in our in, in my backyard so we we're like all right cool so we moved the show to the backyard and so uh uh triple a played a full set and that was their first show ever and uh, and the crumbs and the crumbs played and then afterwards we got really drunk on wine and we all jumped in the pool and our, with our clothes on a lot of fun but um but yeah, yeah i was just reminded of like <laughs> another another amazing triple a show that i saw was oh god so there's this promoter named um, nasty from miami who booked a lot of different shows at a lot of different places and for a while he had access to this (laughs) a scale replica of a pirate ship that's in biscayne bay and usually what it does it takes tourists around like you know you pay like 40 bucks a person and they put you on this little like scale pirate boat and it takes you like around like biscayne bay so somehow uh nasty had convinced the owner that to have punk rock shows on it so the, the pirate ship must have been in financial distress because you you always know when they start booking punk rock shows a venue or anything that you know that they're probably they're probably running out of money and ideas so get some punk rock fans in here Yeah, sounds great um so uh the crumbs the crumbs didn't play that i just i just went on the on the, on the uh to, to the show and so those boats are not are I think maybe they're made to hold like 20 or 30 people and there's probably close to like 100 kids that got on that boat. And so um, the other thing, too, is the the boat moves like as it's like as it's like going through the water. So like everybody sets up like equipment on deck, um, like AAA set of equipment on deck. And like everything's sliding around while they're playing, like as we're going through, as we're going to like the Biscay Bay. And then the other thing is the boat is like severely overloaded. So like, like, it's like kind of like, like keen and yawing and stuff. Oh, God, yes. And then they, they had two shows the same night, just so we, uh, uh, Kelly Ram or something. But yeah, they also had two shows, um, that same night. And like, yeah, the second show was Mad Cow Disease. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. Oh, it was <laughs> that's like such a unique like South Florida thing like I can't imagine that happening anywhere else like I, I would figure like somebody would go safety regulations or 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 this is not a good idea but no it totally happened it was really really amazing yeah and then um so he continued to do these little pirate ship shows I went on another one later and Uh, they got out in the water and a storm happened. So everybody had to get like below deck. And so like everybody's like up against each other like this. And the boat's like, oh, like totally like, like going back and forth. And like, we're all thinking we're going to, we're going to drown for a minute.
1: How far out to sea did the boat go?
0: Like just like in the, in the harbor or a biscayne bay like so in the bay but i mean far enough that you know you couldn't swim back to land i mean i guess you were a powerful swimmer you probably could have but like i mean maybe not i'm probably not more than maybe a couple miles maybe probably less than that but yeah yeah i mean and also what are the punks gonna do they're all wearing all these stupid metal studs and stuff they're gonna stink right away right yeah that was that was totally another memorable against all authority show yeah I I'm really that. stoked they're back together. I feel like like just like tensions in the band caused them to to break up and they weren't really ready to break up so I'm very stoked that they're like playing again
1: yeah it is very exciting times because uh they are back together
0: yeah 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 the, yeah they played the fest which and it looked awesome I didn't go but it looked awesome
1: yeah there's uh was is are there a lot of shows that you still go to do you still stay connected to, to
0: the uh, yeah scene? yeah I'm, yeah i mean yeah I, I still go to shows i gotta really be in bed by 10 oh no <laughs> um yeah, yeah yeah uh uh god um uh some friends of mine are in a band called 1983 uh so i go and see them every now and then uh there's also um uh yeah i mean there's a lot of like really cool like like local bands around now that i still go see and stuff i mean yeah definitely not as like uh i don't know yeah i definitely i find sleep really really cool now when i when i was younger i didn't really seem like i needed as much of it so um yeah i mean probably not as much as i as i used to but yeah i still enjoy going to shows for sure
1: what band locally do you feel like you just maybe took for granted you didn't really check them out as much and now in hindsight you wish you would have saw them a bit more
0: that's a good question um shoot who, 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 who? I don't know. That's really, I really would have to think about that. I can't think of any, any band. I mean, there's definitely bands where it's like, um like, a, you know, I kind of pride myself with being Johnny on the spot and being there for most of the stuff I like, I like want to see and like, um yeah, even if I, even if I didn't see their best night, like, at least I saw like some of their shows. um Yeah, there's, I mean, there's not really anything that I can, that I can like recall right away where I like feel like I missed the boat on them, you know?
1: Well, there were there other bands maybe outside of South Florida, maybe in other parts of the state, where maybe you just couldn't get to see, and you really wish you could have?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like, um, I became a fan later, but Against Me are definitely like an interesting band that like I had a lot of opportunities to see early on, and then I I really didn't, and uh, and uh, I kind of feel like I maybe should have, and I maybe should have taken the time and energy to to go see them when I w- early on, you know.
1: And Chickenhead made it up to the Gainesville area I want oh, to yeah, say, yeah. a couple times. And what was it like being in playing in Gainesville? and were you were you aware of the scene that was going on oh, up there because they had yeah, the, like, yeah, whole, yeah, whole, yeah. whole scene going on
0: yeah, Gainesville Gainesville's a really interesting scene. I mean, like it's been going on forever. and there is like a whole like like older people contingent of that scene, um like uh, oh, that band piss test, which features a uh, uh, Deborah who was in Mutley Chicks at one point. Yes. like. Yeah, so there, there is this great, like, uh, older people Gainesville scene that I really, really love and respect. Um, but yeah, Gainesville is like one of, the, Gainesville's one of those interesting scenes. You cannot play if you're an out of town band, you have to know somebody to play there. Because they're, like, it's very hard to like, just call a venue unless you're like a well-drawn national band and get a gig there. You have to know somebody that'll help you set up a gig. And also, never play there when the kids are out of school. <laughs> like when the kids are go home for vacation, it's the worst. Because like, yeah, I played, I played shows there with different bands I've been in, and it's been like, oh my god, like two hundred kids, everybody's crazy and drunk and having fun. And then played another show with the same band, like you know, a couple months later, and there's three kids that didn't go home for the holidays, you know. But yeah, yeah, Gainesville, I, I, definitely an inspiring scene for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely a whole lot going on up there. And yeah. uh, so out of all the bands that you had been in where maybe we didn't spend as much time or maybe even any time talking mm-hmm. about them, is there any one or two that really stand out for you? Like, yeah, like that was an important band or maybe just something that um, you just really uh, really just enjoyed. It was a good time to to partake in that band.
0: Yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoyed all of them. Um at at a certain point for sure for sure i mean i guess like the two that i would like probably like call out if anybody wanted to go listen to them would be party flag um just because like uh, the singer was amazing in that like like uh one of those um uh uh girl justine who just natural some people just naturally have vocal ability you know like some people you can go Hit this note now hit this note and they can do it without even thinking about like natural pitch i guess um and i always felt like her lyrics were really really strong and really really great um and then uh the other band would be die high slash rat sex like at at first we were called die high and then halfway through (laughs) halfway through the singer wanted to change the name to Rat Sex, and we said we said, "Sure, why not? We've already printed up all these t shirts and and cassettes that say die high, but let's go and change the name to Rat Sex It makes that's totally totally a great idea. So um that band I really, really liked um uh just because the the singer was such an interesting, interesting person, and his his outlook on life was really, really, really unique.
1: I also like the sand rats too
0: oh yeah 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 uh, like kind of like yeah dirt dirty surf funk and stuff yeah, yeah i did that. Yeah. that band too yeah and you
1: all played you think you all played some pretty pretty sizable venues oh yeah at the yeah time?
0: um yeah i got us on a show with uh oh dead milkman mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then actually um we uh we went on a uh, like a two or three week tour with this band from uh like westbound beach called new coke and uh and they 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 were well received. Like a lot of people really really liked our the the records they put out. So yeah, we got to play with uh, King Congo Powers band. Uh, uh, he was in the Cramps. Um, he was also in um, uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce's band. who I just mentioned his name escapes me now. Um, but yeah, that was really really that was super cool. Um, yeah yeah uh, uh, San Rescue. We played some other big oh open for Gangrene I think. Yeah yeah, just right place right time for that band I think.
1: Yeah. Now I know at that point in your career, you have, you played so many shows in so many yeah. different places. Uh, was it, did, did it ha- have the same feeling or do you know? Uh, oh. uh,
0: <laughs> maybe maybe it's by my lack of long-term memory that continues to make things exciting. If you can't remember what happened, what happened a couple of years ago, then it seems like a whole totally new experience that would be doing again. No, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, there, it's always exciting to play in a band I mean even even now it's like, like getting on stage I still have those freaking you know I still have those worms in my in my tummy. And like there's still that nervousness that automatically goes away once you once you start playing the first song like but yeah yeah there's still there's there's still that for sure I mean it's still I don't know yeah it's uh it's is it as exciting as the first time I played? I I can't be, you know, physically, I mean, it's, it's physically impossible, but is it still absolutely exciting? Totally, totally. It's still, it's still one of the most amazing feelings ever.
1: When someone doesn't know you and they stop you at a show and just want to chat with you, you know, what do they want to talk about typically when they come up to
0: you? It tends, it tends to be that like, um, mostly their personal experiences, like which, Uh, yeah god I hate to I hate to say this but it happens a lot where it's like people will be like oh hey what's up Chuck I don't know you you met me when I was like 15 yada yada and it's like I have to do this thing where I have to look at them and then try and mentally age them forward (laughs) to like or mentally age them back to figure out who it is I'm talking to but I, I think most people which which is listen, this, this is the same thing that, that I do when I when I approach people that like are in bands that I love I saw you blank 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 and blank 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 happened and it really meant a lot to me and so I totally I totally get it but yeah and I I think that's the, the other thing too that we take away from seeing live music is our personal experience of it you know what we saw and what we heard and what it meant to us and so yeah I mean that tends to be the kind of things that like people uh, like like talk about or like yeah I mean I mean, and it is really good because it's like so much has happened it really is difficult to remember all of it so it is really really cool to remember like somebody will bring up some specific show and i'll be like oh yeah and i'm immediately kind of transported back there you know that which is another thing with like the poster thing too is like like um like it, it there's certain people like when when people buy the posters sometimes they'll be like oh i was at that show and this and this happened and i was like yes totally that's exactly that's what it's meant to to remind you of like your personal experience of it because that's the thing that lasts you know is like like your feeling and how and what it meant to you you know so yeah yeah that's what a lot of people tend to ask me about which is i totally understand it you know
1: do people usually bring up a story or a memory that no matter how hard you try you
0: Honestly don't remember that moment. Sometimes and then typically like I'll be in the shower later and I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um for years though, for years though, it would be like like set yourself on fire, like at shows, everybody yelling that at me. And uh but yeah, yeah. But also or or people saying they saw that show, but I knew there there's no way there was enough people there at that show that everybody could see that you know <laughs> um but yeah 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 no there it is I, i'm honestly I'm, I'm really thankful when people do that because it does remind me of that that personal experience that like maybe looking at the flyer doesn't remind me of you know like remembering how that night was and this person did this and this person played and they were amazing and and uh and like you know like the personal impact it had
1: is there any style of music that you have not tapped into yet? <laughs> to?
0: Oh God. I don't know. Like, uh, geez. Um, you know, that's the thing is like, um, like, uh, so when I was in that band, like uh, rat sex, I just mentioned, sometimes the singer would show me, he goes, we should sound more like this band. We should sound more like this band. And it would change from week to week. And we would just kind of laugh it off. And I was like, listen, if you want to, sound like that let's write a song in that style it's still going to sound sa- well we're a song in that style it's still going to sound like us because it's us you know but like you know let let that influence in and stuff so yeah i don't I, I don't know there's not i can't really consciously think of it but although i i would kind of feel that like if i was in the right band with the right people and like those influences started working the themselves in that it would be kind of like oh yeah that's where we should go with it you know but yeah there's nothing that i've consciously i mean i don't know maybe funk <laughs> I, I love i love the the rhythms and and uh, especially the 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 um i mean the the drum and bass interaction with a lot of like uh 70s and early 80s funk for sure yeah. i mean i wouldn't I wouldn't consciously set out to create a band that's like that but i would maybe like yeah i guess that's the thing is like over the years i've wanted to start bands with people and they'd be like well what should what, what do you want to sound like i'm like i don't know let's just play and see what it sounds like bring you know like find an idea that you like and bring it and let's like mess around with it and see what we come up with you know like it shouldn't be like we're trying to sound like something it should be that we're trying you know bringing an idea to the table but that it isn't let's not try and sound like that. Let's try and like work that into what we do, you know? Right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, something that definitely influences me is like a lot of like, uh, like that, the the funk music from that era, just be, just because it's so rhythm heavy, you know, like it's very, very driven by, by rhythm, which I really appreciate. And just being a drummer, I really appreciate that, that, um, that connection between bass player and drummer, just Because I kind of feel bass is like kind of the halfway point between the guitar and the and the and the rhythm, between the guitar guitar and the drums. There's still time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still young, man. (laughs) I still got at least like another 15 to 30 bands in my future.
1: (laughs) Oh wow, that would take us up to what 60 bands at that point. (laughs) (laughs) What's the Guinness world record for the amount (laughs) of bands someone has played in before? So uh because it's a pretty pretty long list yeah yeah Uh, 30 years
0: of wasting my 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 heart my time and energy (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i love it whatever right it's just it makes life better
1: are you actively seeking bands or do people come and just come to you and recruit you
0: yeah yeah um typically i mean there's people that i've wanted to be in bands with that i'll go like you know go talk to about it yeah like um well i'm working on a band now with a with a friend um which is uh which should be interesting just because his musical influences are like like somewhat different than mine but i kind of figured that i mean not that like i have this very limited set of musical influences but like like i figure there's like gonna be an interesting meeting point there but that's just like somebody that i've known for a long time and i know they can sing because i saw them do karaoke and so the idea of being in a band with them has like always been like you know somewhat uh like somewhat appealing to me
1: speaking of karaoke Chuck,
0: yeah.
1: when you do or if you were to do karaoke what song would you uh fill out on the paper and uh, want to wanna um, sing
0: the go-to would probably be like the b-52s anything by the b-52s um god uh love shack no, no, no. Love Jack. No, something from like maybe like the first, the first two albums. The more, uh, um, like, uh, uh the more I, new wavy punk. Yeah, yeah. The more new, like the really new wavy stuff. Like, yeah. um, uh,
1: Private Idaho. Give
0: me back my man. Um,
1: Devil in my car.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. That's a good one. Um, uh, yeah. Or I mean, ACDC are always good ones to go to because everybody knows it. They're easy to rock. Um, Oh, there's an Annie Lennox song, "Walking on Broken Glass," which is also the go-to. Like, because it's not it's not too complicated, but it's such a great song.
1: I didn't yeah. hear any traditional punk in in, the, in in that answer. So, well, if um, it's
0: gonna, if it's gonna be karaoke, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like why my day off? What do I? Why do what I do during the week? You know, I mean, like, That's right? It gives you like the opportunity to like <laughs> do stuff that you normally wouldn't ever, you know wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to do. Maybe some Fleetwood Mac, like a, a Fleetwood Mac song or two. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't,
1: I, yeah, I don't know. Oh,
0: Holiday <laughs> Road by Lindsay Buckingham, speaking of Fleetwood Mac. That's okay,
1: a- I can get behind that song, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: From National Lampoon's Vacation. Yes,
0: totally, absolutely. Good
1: tune, good tune. Uh, and just speaking on that, is there any any song or band that people would be surprised that chuck loose listens to
0: um god i don't know i mean i'm pretty open about like like expressing that i don't i'm not (laughs) it's not this like very walled in box of like i mean i guess like if you look at like the music i've played maybe people might get the impression that that you know it's this very kind of limited thing but i don't know i'm pretty open about about like expressing that i love abba you know and, and like stuff that's like you know uh god um what i've been listening oh i've been listening to like um uh broadway musical soundtracks lately and those are are great i was listening to little shop of horrors soundtrack and uh the beetlejuice uh the broadway uh version of the beetlejuice soundtrack so yeah i think those are broadway broadway sound broadway music is interesting it's super cool like oh my god it's so full of like like really good Broadway musicals are so full of like double entendres and like, and like, like cynicism and little funny in-jokes and like, all run together in this really rapid pace that you have to like really, really be like listening to, to catch. And maybe you got to listen to the song like three or four times before you catch all the little jokes that are in it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, does that seem weird to like, <laughs> 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 does that seem like outside, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty open about like, you know, I don't know
1: anymore really, but I think listening to musicals like that especially when you're driving you know it's something to sing along with and it's uh you know a little different than your traditional just you know rock band or hip-hop or yeah, whatever yeah. it is you're listening to so uh
0: yeah. i'm trying to think of anything else is like that it's like that far out of the ordinary i mean like yeah i mean my typical like like mixes that are like i listen to during the work day are like everything from like you know i don't know god like return of the mac to like Hank Williams to like, you know,
1: Return of the Mac, the song.
0: Yes, yes, yes. By, by Mark. Oh, yeah, oh my God! Oh my God! Okay. The same
1: one we're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. By um. Oh my God! Who's it by? who's by Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. Yes, Mark Morrison. Oh my mm-hmm. God! All right. So <laughs> I really got into Mark Morrison for 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 a small amount of time, and I got really into like reading about him. This is the most amazing thing. So he had like a bunch. He had, he had, he put out a bunch of songs, and they never really went anywhere. And so he recorded return of the Mac and they released it and then suddenly got really popular. Unfortunately, when it got really popular, he was on probation and so he couldn't tour and the label says you got to tour now, like when it's hot. Like, you know, if you wait, then it's going to lose momentum. So he got one of his friends to pretend to be him to talk to his probation officer while he went on tour he got totally busted like like the formation officer is not going to like realize this is a totally different individual but i thought i thought that was the most mac move ever like like i'm still going on tour you pretend you're me i'll be back in a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah um okay the other okay maybe Yeah. yes uh, uh uh my girlfriend kelly just reminded me um i we watched the disney movie encanto and the soundtrack for that is awesome <laughs> i love it I love it. It's funny because like um, uh, uh, some of the people I share office space with, I mentioned to like, oh, my kids, my kids listen to this too much. I'm sick of it. I was like, oh, it's so good though. It's so awesome. So yeah, I guess maybe that, Is that, that people think I wouldn't listen to that. So if, someone, someone, Kondo, if,
1: if if someone's in an earshot of, 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 of your, of your business, they can hear you playing. Yeah. that. <laughs> Singing
0: along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no apologies
1: yeah you shouldn't have any you know i'm under the mantra of music is good why not listen to it you know if you like it why not listen to it oh
0: my god yeah no i mean like all music has something to offer yeah i mean like i'll have friends that like oh i don't like x genre and it's like i don't want to say it's like it's ignorant to say that but you really should try and listen to it i mean okay maybe you don't like it maybe after you listen to like 50 bands in that genre you 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 have the honest opinion you don't like it but that's never been the case for me i mean like you know something and i'm always like trying to like like if something maybe like kind of like 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 um like uh like i feel sour toward at the beginning i'm going to force myself to listen to it just so i either come to the realization of why i don't like it or find the good things about it you know So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and God in music, listen, at the end of the day, the point of music is to inspire you to make you feel better or worse, to, to help you deal with sadness, to help you deal with trauma, to help you to feel better about whatever, you know? So it's like, it's silly to limit yourself to not wanting to experience that whole, that whole, like, you know, the the whole rainbow of that, you know? Yeah.
1: And all the work that you've done Mm -hmm. over the years, has anyone approached you, whether in person or via message, where you kind of got the feeling, even if they didn't come out and say it, that you maybe inspired them?
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally, totally. I mean, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's people that have, like, told me that. Yeah, I, I, I try and take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I'm, again, in the same way that I approach people that, like, did that for me, like, if I can, you know, if I can return that gift to somebody else, awesome I'm very very excited about that you know yeah but totally no I mean that's the way it should work right like we should we should uh, we should be able to pass down like and and exchange that gift of like being excited about something when we hear it like uh like as much as we can I mean that's the that's the that's the payoff right <laughs> I mean you know that's the thing when it's no it, it's the same thing about art like when it actually when people look at it and it connects with them um, like on like a um, like a subliminal level, not subliminal, like a, a sublime level. You know, when when something actually means something to somebody, and they and they they get something from it, art, music, whatever it is, that's the payoff. You know, like when somebody like can t- maybe even it's not what you intended them for them to take, but when they take something away from it that's meaningful to them, that's 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 the whole point of art. <laughs> you know, that's the whole point of good art. I would agree. Right on.
1: And you've made plenty of it and you continue to make plenty of it, whether it be musically, whether it be uh, the art behind you and all the posters that you haven't made yet or other stuff too, right? Because you make, you do more than just just posters, right?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All all kinds of art. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, listen, (laughs) when I was younger, when I was in Chickenhead, I was very self destructive. And so I really didn't think I was going to live this long. And the fact that I have lived this long is actually really, really. A good feeling and it, and it feels like it's not going to end anytime soon it feels like this is gonna this is gonna keep on going for a while so i'm very very i'm very thankful and i'm very happy about it for sure yeah yeah hopefully hopefully my greatest work is still ahead of me hopefully
1: amen <laughs> hey you have a lot of people who are definitely behind you and uh, uh a lot of fans of a lot of the music that you've done and also the great work you do artistically so uh
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that for sure. Hey, man!
1: It's been an honor getting a chance to sit down with you today and right and, on. and and, yeah, and dude, talk you. about your your life and your musical journey. And I'm sure if we were doing uh, the full end to end, we could probably be here for 48 hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on. No, no. Yes, I really appreciate having me on, dude. I love I love the I love the podcast. I love I love the fact that like somebody cares enough about South Florida music culture and heritage to like take the time to document it. It's important, you know? I mean, without, without documentation, we don't know what happened.
1: Right, right. And, you know, one of the things that, that I have always noticed over the years, uh, and I know you've done your share of interviews with different, uh, zines and other types of, uh, printed media, whether it be digitally or physical, what have you. And, you know, there's something different when you're doing a, uh, kind of a conversation like this, oh, where right. no, you know the different ways you can kind of segue in different parts of the conversation and what have you, versus just doing an interview where everything's being kind of written down. So, well, yeah. and it's and it's all your words, you know. These are your your, your memories, your 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 experiences, and what have you. So, uh... no, it's
0: it's definitely more of a of a human to human experience, yeah. which I think is yeah one of the great things about modern technology. I mean, like yeah, zine interviews were great, but and sometimes maybe you could capture the personality of the person. But I mean, like you know, hearing the person's voice and seeing their facial expressions. Yeah, you know, ninety percent of human communication is nonverbal like yeah you know that's that means a lot more as far as communicating the the tone and nature of what the person is trying to get across for sure that's right
1: and i don't typically make a lot of uh announcements of upcoming guests usually I like a bit of i like the i like the the suspense and you know surprise <laughs> of everything so but i will announce because there's a a close tie between you and the next guest uh and it just so happened to work out that way i wasn't i wasn't planning on doing on, on, on booking it this way uh but jeff hodap will be coming oh, on
0: oh dude awesome guest yes on the
1: podcast so right. uh-huh. uh, i would oh, expect I, right. I would expect more stories of uh yeah and of course roche motel and trapped oh, by god. mormons and
0: that's uh, yeah. a fun stuff yeah yeah oh my god yeah yeah and jeff oh god the the roche motel era of florida punk rock is so just the stories he's told me is like it's insane you know like like because they were like oh my god yeah they were just totally like (laughs) uh unexplored realms you know like like being punk rock in that era i mean i grew up in rural new mexico it was tough being a funny looking kid but florida oh it was yeah you know the stories that him and george had told me about those roach motel days are pretty insane i'm i'm looking forward to that yeah
1: You and I both. And, uh, yep. So that's the next episode that'll be coming up, uh, in the month of February. So, uh, stay tuned for that. But Chuck, what a, what a pleasure it has been to have you on any last words you want to share before we wrap up today.
0: Oh no, that's it. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Keep on doing, keep on doing the good thing.